millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and fire this thing up. Today is a historic day, and I have not been this excited in a very long time. I woke up at like the crack of dawn this morning. My eyes just popped open. I jumped out of bed and I was just, I've just been pacing around the house for hours. I swear. <laughs> I just cannot wait to get to this freaking HBO title fight between Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. I feel like I'm about to watch, uh, Mike Tyson fight Pee Wee Herman. This should be an open and shut case, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I know we're all pretty weary about the court system here, but I'll tell you why I think that Carrie Lake should and will win this. And the reason is because of the chain of custody issue. Okay, the fact that that has been allowed to go to trial. I know eight out of ten counts were dismissed, but one of the counts regards chain of custody. And that is black and white. That is very, very easy to prove. I mean, either they have the chain of custody records for the mail-in Dropbox ballots, or they don't. If they don't, and the evidence is there, and Carrie Lake can bring this to court, what that'll do, I mean, we're alleging here that 300,000 ballots have no chain of custody. And if that's the case, that throws the entire election into question, into doubt, okay? And that would require a new election. That's, I think, uh, Carrie Lake's strongest argument so long as the evidence is there. We have this other count regarding the printer uh, configuration and the breakdown on election day. That obviously was an attempt to disenfranchise voters and rig an election and swing the election in the favor of Katie Hobbs. But that count is going to be a lot harder to prove. What uh, what Carrie Lake has to do with that count is either prove that, one, it was intentional, there was malice, uh, and, and therefore there was fraud, okay, because that right there would void the election. But if they can't prove that it was intentional, and there was malice, and identify specifically who did it, how they did it, and prove intent, then uh, K- Carrie Lake will be reliant upon showing that gross negligence, meaning an honest mistake, resulted in swinging the election, right? Um, and that's a little bit more difficult. I think the chain of custody is is easier. So I'm pretty confident here. I'm pretty confident. Uh, not to mention, guys, I haven't covered this yet, but it's not just Carrie Lake's lawsuit, guys, that I have reason to be excited. We also have Abraham Hamaday. His lawsuit has been allowed to go forward. So we have two trials happening in the same week. Abraham. Uh, so we have Carrie Lake Wednesday and Thursday, and then Abraham Hamaday goes to trial on the 23rd. So that's even more exciting. Well, it makes this entire thing more exciting because... Um, we, we have two election cases going to trial. Abraham Hamaday is, it, it should be a slam dunk. I mean, allegedly, he only lost by 511 votes to Maya's, the Democrat, and his case, he's alleging that, you know, there was all these people that went to a, a vote center. They were told that, well, the, the machines were broken down and they were told, Excuse me. They were told you can go to another vote center and they went to another vote center and they were told they were still checked in at the first one and they weren't allowed 
to, to cast a ballot. And Abraham Hamaday is saying that if those people were allowed to cast a ballot, there's enough of them that it would uh, swing the election results in favor of Abraham Hamaday. Uh, he's also saying that there was these ballots that were ran through tabulators and the tabulators wouldn't take the ballots. So then election workers had to duplicate them, meaning transfer the votes onto new ballots. And he's saying that when they did that, they were actually changing people's votes. And if the original ballot, the, the voters original intentions were, uh, were actually counted correctly, that would also change the election results for Abraham Hamaday. So he's got a very, very, very strong case. And I think there's a, a, a strong possibility that he can win this. So guys, I'm jazzed up. I'm fired up. Just the fact that we got this far is massive, massive. Um, all these people that call us conspiracy theorists, election deniers say that there's our claims are totally baseless. Well, apparently they're not so baseless because if we're able to bring this to a courtroom and actually look at the merits, we made it past dismissal hearings, then clearly it's not baseless. At least there's some credibility to these allegations or else we wouldn't have made it this far. So we've just uh, basically destroyed the left's arguments already. Now, if we can, uh, you know, elect Carrie Lake as governor and Abraham Hamaday as attorney general, man, <laughs> oh, what does that say about the 2020 election? What does that do for for the the entire uh, narrative that that we're destroying democracy? No, it appears that you people have destroyed democracy and taken the Constitution and our sacred right to vote and violated us and wiped your butt with the Constitution. And you've been lying for the past two years and gaslighting us. This the, the, the implications here are massive. Now, let me check real quick. It appears that uh, the stream has begun, but I think, yeah, we're still just in the, in the lobby, in the wait room. So we'll keep an eye on that. It's supposed to go up in about four minutes. If you guys could do me a favor, would you, would you please smash the rumble button as well as subscribe to this channel? I would really appreciate if you guys are new to this channel to, to join and become a subscriber as well as turn on notifications because uh, that way you get notified whenever we go live. We cover all kinds of election fraud related news as well as pretty much all MAGA related news. Uh, we've been going live pretty much every day these days. Now, so let me, I did a live stream over on Locals this morning, a little pregame, and I, I told you guys my thoughts about um, the burden of proof here that Carrie Lake has, the, the hill that she has to climb. And so basically I've identified four ways that Carrie Lake can win this. And when I say win, I mean get the relief that she's seeking. Carrie Lake either wants to be declared the winner or have an entirely new election. Now, I'm going to say right now, Carrie Lake being declared the winner is almost out of the question, given the two counts that have been allowed to go forward. Um, the, the, so if Carrie Lake was allowed to actually audit the signatures on the ballot affidavits, then she could be declared the winner. Because if you were to look at them and say, OK, here's 20,000 fraudulent uh, ballots that were cast for Katie Hobbs. They were illegal and they shouldn't have been counted. 
then they could be eliminated and that would change the outcome. And then Carrie Lake could be declared the winner. But since that count wasn't allowed to go forward, it was dismissed. Now we're looking at two counts where really the only potential here is to throw the election outcome into doubt, right? When you're talking about chain of custody, you have 300,000 ballots with no chain of custody. We don't know which ones were legal, which ones were illegal. So you can't eliminate them. Pretty much all you can do is say, we don't know. I mean, it's it's unknown. So this election should be voided and we should have a new one. So I think Carrie Lake's the best case scenario here is we have a new election. And um, there's four ways that I think Carrie Lake can do that. One would be to prove intent with the ballot printer breakdowns, prove fraud. We know Clay Parikh, the expert, is going to testify that there's no way the printer configuration uh, was an accident, right? That 50% of machines broke down on election day. There's no way that was an accident. He's tasked with proving um, intentional manipulation, malice, and intent. That's one way. The other way would be to prove through statistical mathematical data, Richard Barris, the pollster, is going to testify, and he's going to try to make the assertion that there was X amount of voters disenfranchised, and the number has to be larger than the margin of victory. And if if there was, um, if you can actually prove that these people weren't, they didn't cast a ballot, and they would have had this not happened, and you can throw the election into doubt, then that's another way. Okay, <clears throat> you're not going to get Carrie Lake declared the winner on printer uh, machines breaking down because those people that were disenfranchised, we don't know how exactly they would have voted if they did cast a ballot. But what you, what you can do is say there was 20 to 30,000 people that were disenfranchised, and so we need a new election. So I've identified two ways that she can win. The other, the, the third one would be we have this uh, claim that a Runbeck employee, a, a whistleblower, told us that Runbeck employees were allowed to insert their own ballots, and their family members' ballots at Runbeck, which is totally illegal. Runbeck is not a legitimate drop box. Like, uh, I mean, you're only allowed to drop your ballot off at a legal drop box. You can't just slip your ballot in there into the count at the counting center or at Runbeck. That's illegal. So <clears throat> we don't know how many of those ballots there were. We don't know if there was 50 or 50,000, but Carrie Lake can make the argument that Carrie Lake can make the argument that um those hang on one second. Carrie Lake can make the argument that we don't know how many of those ballots were inserted and the outcome is unknown. And she could also say the 300,000 ballots with no chain of custody renders the outcome unknown. So there's four ways that she can win. I'm not an attorney, but that's how I see it. And I think that the strongest argument she has, the easiest, simplest, cut and dry, black and white way is with the 300,000 ballots with chain of custody. But it's going to be interesting to see the defendant's arguments against that. I don't think the defendants, the county, uh, Katie Hobbs, are just going to go to court and be like, yep, you guys are right. Uh, we don't have chain of custody forms. And so you win. Now, it's not going to go down like that. They're going to try to refute this. They're going to come up with some narrative. Um, and, it's, and so we're going to have to see what that is. But it appears that th- this case has begun. So we're going to pull up the stream. 
But before you do that, guys, please, again, smash that Rumble button. Subscribe to this channel. Uh, consider checking out the links in the description to our affiliates. And please consider going to nickmoseeder.locals.com and signing up over there. Uh, we, we do extra videos, extra live streams, and you get extra content if you become a supporter. So thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to step out, and we're going to play the live stream. All right. On behalf of uh, Plenty of Cary Lake, Your Honor. Okay, and who do you have with you at table? Is that? Oh, this is our audio-visual technician, Your Honor. Is he fine here? He is fine there. That's fine. I figure it is either me yelling across the courtroom. It's fine. We're defendants. Your Honor, Avakana from Elias Law Group on behalf of Governor-elect Hobbs. Your Honor, it's Thomas Liddy on behalf of Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and Maricopa County Recorder Stephen Richer. With me is Joseph LaRue and Cameron Hartman-Tayez. And uh, Emily Crager from the Burgess Law Group is of counsel for defense. Thank you. Morning, Your Honor. Andy Gayono with Coppersmith-Brockleman and Bo Duell with States United Democracy Center on behalf of Secretary of State Hobbs in her official capacity. Thank you. All right. I appreciate the uh, <clears throat> list of witnesses and anticipated time for examination for each witness in this matter. Um, we'll endeavor to stay as close as we can to that schedule. There are two matters that have been brought to my attention that I'll address in just a second. It's a housekeeping matter. Uh, there are two sides to the case. I'm not going to divide the time by attorneys because it's inconceivable to me that I would affirm the election or make a ruling as to one defendant and not the other. So as far as defendants go, I will leave it to you as to who will be the lead to seven witnesses. As far as argument goes, uh, I can hear from each of you with regard to closing argument, that type of thing. Um, but for objection's sake, I will assume, if you wish me to, that all three defendants join in any objection made by any attorney who's handling a particular witness. Will that be a fair process? Yes, Your Honor. I appreciate it. Honey? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. We agree. Very well, then. All right. There are two motions that were filed last night and uh, responses uh, that I've considered. The first is there is a motion to exclude uh, plaintiff's expert witnesses I've considered those. What I intend to do at this time to expedite things, I believe that under the local rule, uh, it's been briefed. I have everything I need to decide it, so I don't need oral argument on that because we need to get started on the actual trial. With regard to the motion to exclude plaintiff's experts, uh, Rule 702A allows me to consider expert testimony if they have qualifications or expertise uh, beyond that of in this instance, it's going to be the court with regard to particular matters relating directly to this case. I find that is the case, that the experts do have some expertise that will allow them to opine to certain things. However, uh, that's subject to foundation, and it is um, also going to be um, to relevance because the, mo one of the motion – went as far as to seek to strike the reports of both experts. I haven't had those offered in evidence 
But I will tell you that my inclination is if the witness is testifying, it's uh, cumulative to have a report. And furthermore, the reports also contain opinions that go beyond the remaining counts that we have for trial. Uh, so my position on that, I will, if you seek to admit them, I will rule at that time, but I've given you an indication of what you might expect. Um, the other motion under Rule 807, <clears throat> there are many, many affidavits in this case. Um, I've read them. This is a trial to the court. Uh, I am persuaded that under Rule 807, given the, the intersection of Rule 807 with the time constraints set by the legislature for holding an election contest, that there is no alternative reasonable method that the plaintiffs have to get 219 witnesses in front of me and allow cross-examination. Second of all, those affidavits that are attached to Mr. Sonneclar's affidavit that deal with observations by voters, poll workers, or persons present on the voting day, November 8, 2022, are under oath, and I have no reason to suspect there's any um, indicia of unreliable information in the affidavit. So I would grant the request to enter those into evidence. But plaintiff's exhibit numbering system um, left something to be desired, and the clerk has now numbered your exhibits. You, you identified them by description and not number. So what I need is a clarification of which exhibits you are actually offering for the record. Not right now, because I'm not going to take up your time to do that. At the first opportunity, I want you to go through and the record, the, for the record, what I am at, what I'm asking you to do is to provide me the exhibit numbers for What are attached in your pleadings, plaintiff, as exhibits A1 through... A220 of your complaint. Also, it appears they're seeking to admit affidavits, or you will be seeking to admit affidavits that were attached to the declaration of Mr. Olson. You're acting as counsel, Mr. Olson, so in Rule 3.7 of the Rules of Professional Conduct say you can't be a lawyer and a witness. So, Unless it's a matter that's 
something I'm willing to take judicial notice of. I don't think anything in this case is something I'm going to take judicial notice of. So I'm not admitting your affidavit, but it's the attachments to the affidavit that I believe that are being sought to be entered. To that end, specifically, go through. Exhibit one attached to your uh, affidavit, Mr. Olson, is not relevant nor is exhibit, exhibit number two the, uh, because of the rulings of the 19th. Uh, exhibit three, same thing. Um, exhibit four, same thing. Um, and exhibit five, same thing. Next, exhibits six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11, well, 10 are all within what I would believe or um, construe as that 807 exception to allow for observations that took place at the time and place of the election and the persons who are the declarants. The others, uh, the declaration of Mr. Barris, he's an expert. He's retained for the purpose of litigation. He's got a report, et cetera, and I've talked about that. The declaration of Shelby Bush is also not pertinent to what I have for me. The affidavit of Clay Eric, is that how I pronounce it? Yes, Your Honor. And Kelly, KJ, Kutchta, uh, they are all prepared in anticipation of litigation, and I'm not admitting those under 807. Okay? So... What I need for you to do is to get with the defendants, show them their exhibit numbers, get me those numbers, and then I can address admitting those at a later, later point. Now, having said all of that, either at the time we move to admit them, actually, or right now, I can allow the defendants to take some of their time to make an additional record. I've read what you wrote already in your responses. That is a matter of record, and I'm saying right here in open court that that is preserved as an objection to what I'm doing. If you have something additional you want to add as a record, I'll let you do it now, or I can let you do it at the time that Mr. Olson complies with my request by that specific exhibit numbers. Nothing further, Your Honor. Thank you. We'll rest on our papers, Your Honor. We reserve the right to object from if, if something has no probative value to the remaining counts. Thank you, Mr. Liddy. Um, obviously, I, I'm the trier of fact. This trial is going to be conducted with the eye that um, I am able to give things a weight that I deem appropriate, anywhere from zero to great weight. And so I will rely upon you, counsel, on both sides, to present argument or to present the case in a manner that indicates to me what you think has more weight. To that end, I'm a little concerned that you've allocated yourself 15 minutes and five minutes for closing argument. So um, you may want to rethink that. Um, so 
I believe that are, those are all the matters that I have before we can get started. Housekeeping item, Your Honor. If we could, uh, defendants would like to invoke the rule to exclude any non-expert testifying witnesses from the courtroom. Join. Yeah. No objection. No objection, Your Honor. Um, the rule has been invoked. I'm going to have to rely upon counsel because I don't know these people by sight. There are persons who are uh, non-parties who are witnesses to this case who are present. They must leave the courtroom, not discuss their testimony either before or after they testify with anyone other than the attorneys. Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Scott Chair, the Elections Department Director is here as a party representative, but he's also listed as a witness, Your Honor. Very well. I'll accept the designation. Very well. We're ready to proceed. Ready to proceed. Defense? Your Honor. Mr. Liddy? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Young? Yes, Your Honor. Very well. Mr. Olson? Oh, well, Mr. Blum? Your Honor, we would like to start with uh, Recorder Stephen Richer. My understanding, he's online and prepared to give his testimony now. Okay, we have Mr. Richard then. swear, Mr. Richard, in, please. Raise your right hand. You do solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Very well. You may proceed. I can see the witness via video or audio feed. Your Honor. I'm not sure. All right. Uh, Hi. I think the answer that I've received from somebody with technical knowledge is the witness needs to turn his camera on. Uh, Recorder Richard, can you please turn your camera on? Very well. Thank you very much. All right. Could you please state your full name for the record? Stephen Richard, R-I-C-H-E-R. What is your occupation? Maricopa County Recorder. Maricopa County Recorder, how long have you held that position? I was elected in the November 2020 election. I took office on January 4th, 2021. Thank you. And as Maricopa County Recorder, you play a pivotal role in Arizona elections, do you not? I am statutorily responsible for recording operations, vote registration, and early voting. With respect to your recording of operations, does that include uh, maintaining written chain of custody for all ballots? Uh, the recording operations I refer to are the recording of public documents mostly related to the real estate industry, such as titles and deeds. All right. Do you maintain in your office, with respect to your duties, election-related duties, Chain of custody documents for yes, ballot. Sir. All right. Are those required by law? Yes. Yes. 
And Arizona is a significantly larger county than any other state of Arizona. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. And so is it fair to say that as Maricopa County goes, so too goes Arizona? I don't follow. Well, the population center in Maricopa County is significantly larger than all the other counties. Isn't that correct? That's correct, but it's not dispositive, as was shown in the superintendent of public instructions race and another oh. statewide race. And a Republican won that, uh, that race. Is that correct? Uh, I believe that race is in recount. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. So explain to the court then what your role is in running elections in Maricopa County. As mentioned before, I am responsible for registering voters. So intaking those, doing all the background checks, confirming identity, confirming location, maintaining the voter registration database, uh, having that available at the cutoff date, which this election was 28 days before the election day. Ordinarily, that's 29 days before election day. But this year we had Columbus Day on the 29th day. And so it moved to the 28th day. On the 27th day, we mail out early ballots to all people who are either on the active early voting list or who have requested a one-time early ballot. That this elect general election was approximately 1.9 million registered voters out of the approximately 2.4 million registered voters overall in Maricopa County. We send those out. We are also responsible for all forms of early voting that could include dropping off a ballot at a drop box. That could include dropping off a ballot at a voting location. That could in- include going to an early vote- voting location, getting a new ballot printed. That's still governed by early voting laws, meaning it still has to go in an envelope, that envelope has to be sealed and signed, and it comes back to us. My office is also responsible for things like UOCAVA, which is Uniform and Overseas Voting. Now, that begins actually 45 days under federal law before the election. We are not responsible for election day operations, emergency voting, which is the weekend before election day, or for ballot tabulation. All right. And so those responsibilities lie with the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, correct? That's correct. And that's true of all 15 counties. All right. And so I believe you you mentioned drop boxes. You are responsible for those and for ensuring that the ballots get from drop boxes to Maricopa County, correct? That's correct. And you testified earlier you're required by law to maintain chain of custody. That includes chain of custody from pickup at Dropbox to delivery to Maricopa County. Isn't that correct? That's correct. Okay. Does that also include when they leave Maricopa County and they're delivered to Runbeck? They never leave our chain of custody because they are with our personnel at all times. But yes, they go to run back. Okay, so are run back your personnel? No. No, they are a third party vendor, correct? Correct. You're the only county in the state of Arizona that uses a third party vendor for intake of its ballots? 
Maricopa County has been doing this since the 1990s. My question was a simple yes or no. Are you the only county in the state of Arizona that uses a third party vendor for intake of your ballots? No. Okay. And so was your testimony just a moment ago with respect to my question on chain of custody with delivery of Maricopa County ballots from your custody and control at MC Tech to run back a third party vendor that they are not governed by chain of custody laws? They are. They are. And that would also apply to the return of those ballots from the third party vendor run back to MC Tech. Is that correct? I'm not sure I follow, but chain the- of custody. Are you required to maintain chain of custody from third party vendor run back, back to Maricopa County? Chain of custody is preserved throughout all times of the early voting process. It's documented when it goes to run back. It never leaves the site of our personnel. It's documented when it comes back to MCTEC. Correct. Okay. So you document every transport of ballots from MCTEC to run back. Correct. What kind of forms do you use? It's a ballot transportation slip. It's a white form. Does that include the total number of ballots you're taking to run back? It does include the total number of ballots for early voting. Okay, thank you. That would include uh, election day ballots? Election day ballots are treated a little differently. If you're talking about election day ballots that are voted on site, those are under the domain of the Board of Supervisors. If you're talking about early ballots that are dropped off on election day, those come and those all come to MCTEC first where they are gathered and then they are transferred over to uh, Runback where they are counted by our people at Runback because they have a high speed counter because that's the only day in which approximately 300,000 early ballots come in on one day. Okay, is it your testimony here today that you, once Selection Day happens, are no longer legally responsible for the ballots that are dropped into Dropbox? Your Honor, Honor, wait just a minute, Ricardo Richard. Your Honor, this line of questioning is calling for a legal conclusion from... Uh, the witness, uh, I object. Your Honor, he understands the laws that they apply to his job. You're asking for the witness's understanding, is that correct? I'm asking if that's his understanding. He just testified that the drop boxes in the voting centers, Your Honor, are under the control of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Your Honor, with that being the, the question, we withdraw the objection. That's fine. I was... Mr. Richer... These yes, questions, sir. these questions are directed to you and your understanding. And if you understand the question, we'll presume that that's the case. If you don't understand the question, you can ask to have it rephrased. Do you need this last question rephrased or do you remember it, sir? Well, perhaps because that was a Wait. inaccurate representation Wait. of my position. Richard. Okay, Mr. Richard. Let, Sorry, Your Honor. Let me ask a question. Mr. Richard, with respect to drop boxes in vote centers on election day, who is it that is responsible for those ballots? Voting locations on election day 
are overseen by board of supervisors in all 15 counties. Understand when that. I understand that recorder, but you're not answering my question. <sighs> it's not true that the drop boxes are under your purview as a recorder. When the ballots get back to MCTEC, the early ballots, we then process those, we oversee them, we organize them, we get them all aligned in the same manner, we count them, we then send them with our personnel to MCTEC such that they can be scanned and imaged overnight such that at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning, we could begin the signature verification process for those 290,000 ballots, the early ballots that were dropped off on election day. I was distinguishing those from the day of ballots, which are cast in person, which is overseen by the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Okay, so the statute, are you familiar with the statute, first of all, that governs chain of custody of ballots? I am generally familiar with Title 16 and Title 19. Does the statute draw a distinction between election day drop box ballots and uh, early ballots that take place before election day? It does. Okay. Does it draw a distinction with respect to your responsibility to provide chain of custody for all drop box ballots? I don't follow the line of questioning. All right. Does the statute requiring you to maintain chain of custody for all Dropbox related ballots say shall or may? We must maintain chain of custody for all early ballots. Okay. So now again, you're parsing with early versus uh, those dropped at a polling center in a Dropbox, correct? I'm not attempting to. I'm just distinguishing those from ballots that are cast in person on Election Day. There are early ballots that are dropped off on Election Day. We maintain chain of custody for those ballots. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know if any chain of custody exists for the transport of ballots from drop boxes at vote centers to MCTEC on Election Day? It does. Okay. So you can tell me exactly how many ballots left each vote center on election day that came from a drop box. I can tell you how many early ballots we received on election day. Okay. Can you tell me, based on chain of custody documents, how many ballots left the drop boxes from the vote centers and were transported to MC Tech. Yes. Based on documents that you have in your possession. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. You're, you're familiar with EPM, correct? Are you referring to the elections procedures manual? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Okay. And that also contains specific language with respect to early ballots, Dropbox ballots. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And it contains the same statutory language as shall as opposed to may. Is that correct? I I can't recollect. Okay. When you first um, took office in Maricopa County, were there some um, concerns about Dropbox chain of custody in Arizona? 
If you're asking if there were in the general public, yes, and I'm certainly aware of many things that have been alleged over the last two years, uh, perhaps most noteworthy of which was the documentary 2000 Mules. All right. And are you aware of a report issued by Arizona Attorney General with respect to Dropbox ballot chain of custody? I am, and that pertained to the 2020 general election. The 2020 general election. Okay, well, and that was the the basis of my question. When you took office, did you make any changes to uh, chain of custody forms based upon that report? Based upon that report, which came out in April 2022, no. No. Okay, so you changed forms prior to that period of time? We did change forms prior to that period of time, correct. All right, why did you do that? To, for the same reason that we changed personnel, for the same reason that we added personnel, for the same reason that we revisited all of our processes, for the same reason that we're rebuilding our voter registration database, for the same reason that we rebuilt our website, because I'm in this office to try and move it forward. I hope to leave it better than I inherited, and I'm sure the next person will want to do the same. Okay, thank you very much. And so you testified to me that you know you can tell exactly how many ballots were transported by uh vote center drop from vote center drop boxes to MC Tech on election day. I believe you recall uh tweeting at about eleven AM I believe it was. And can we go ahead and pull up uh exhibit sixty one? That's the court's exhibit number. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. D1. Bates number 007815. For the record, I need to have the official number. Yes, Your Honor, and that's why I said 61. It's 63. It's 63. 63. My, my mistake, Your Honor. 63. Thank you. Are you able to see what's on? Well, that's not it. Hang on. right here g1 that's not my screen oh that's not yours okay sixty three one that's on the table yep it's that is the one on the corner yep mm-hmm it's appearing on the laptop And while we're pulling this up, you help supervise the uh, transport of uh, EVBTS containers, is that correct, on Election Day? Yes, I was part of the team that spent the whole evening organizing uh, the early ballots as they came back to MCTEC. Okay, and you did not um, at any time see any uh, chain of custody forms attached to those EVBTS stock uh, bids, did you? I don't quite know what you mean. We scan in every single box as it comes in. Yeah, and what does that scan tell you? Where it came from? 
So when the early ballots are removed from their blue container at the voting location, they're okay, placed in a you, Tupperware. You, you, you've gone beyond the question I've asked. They unload these blue containers from the vehicle or the truck, whatever. It's a rider rental truck or a personal oh. POV. They unload them and they put them on what's called the blue line. Isn't that correct? No. Now, what do they, where do they put them? Well, your previous statement was inaccurate. Okay. Do they contain any documentation contained on the bins for chain of custody from transport to the polling from the vote center? To MC Tech. Yes. They contain those forms on election yes. day. On election day. Okay. Yes. So if we were to show video of you opening some of those bins, would we be able to see those forms? There's a piece of paper on the side of the bin. The bin is also affixed with two scannable serialized tamper evidence seals that we scan in upon receipt. We then take that piece of paper that is on the side of it after we have broken those seals, and then we begin processing those early ballots on election night. Okay, so that piece of paper tells you exactly how many ballots are in each bin. No, not on election night. Okay, that's the nature of my question. You don't have any idea how many ballots are in those bins, do you? We count them at Big Tech. Okay, you count them at Big Tech. Okay, and then do you create Correct. a chain of custody form on election day at MTech? Yes, before it goes to Runback. Have you produced all of those in response to a FOIA request that was submitted to your office? I don't think we're bound by federal law. Okay. Have you submitted them in respect to a public records request under Arizona law? Sorry, I see Joe standing up, but I don't know if that's lag. Yeah, he's sitting. I can see him, too. He's sitting. Um, I, I believe we have. And so on Election Day, it would have been easy for you to figure out how many ballots you received. Yeah, well, we had to get them all in, and it was quite a process throughout the you night. Add, I don't believe it was. You, you could look at the forms and add the numbers, correct? You could have a staff member do that? No, we added them up. We They're not counted at the individual voting locations. They are counted when they get back to MCTEC, and then they are recounted at uh, Runback. All right. And so you reported then on, uh, I believe it was the 9th, that's the day after the election, that there were 270,000 early ballots received. Is that correct? That was my estimate at the time. Oh, you tweeted it, correct? If you say so. And then you said that again in the afternoon on a press conference. Is that correct? I said I believe there were at least 275,000 early ballots dropped off on Election Day. All right. And was that the same number you reported to the Secretary of State's office on that day? I do not report to the Secretary of State's office. That's handled by the tabulation side. Okay. And that would be the Maricopa County recorder? I am the Maricopa County recorder. No, that would be the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. 
All right. So they count the ballots when they come in. (laughs) All I want to know is, does anybody know when those ballots leave the polling centers, the voting centers, how many are in the bins? When the ballots leave, the early ballots leave the voting centers, no, they are not counted at the voting centers. So nobody knows how many are in the bins when they arrive at MC Tech. Correct. But according to your testimony, they contain documents that tell you how many are in the bins? No, they contain chain of custody documents. And it's your testimony that you count them at MC Tech? Correct. All right. Can we go ahead and uh, I guess just pull up a different exhibit if that one's not working? It's not the issue. It's it's the computer. It's the house. We get a break. That's going to be a pain because break. I believe so. Uh, Do you recall uh, sending an email on the 10th to the Board of Supervisors essentially saying that uh, um, you really have no idea how many ballots there are? No. Recall that? I do not recall that. All right. Okay, so I'm not finding it really, and I want to get get over this very quickly. Uh, do you recall on uh, the 10th of November at 2022 at 2.13 p.m. sending an email to Ray Valenzuela, Scott Jarrett, Megan Gilbertson, Matthew Roberts, Phil Morsley, as well as C. Singh, Bill Gates, and a few others? And that states, and I'll read this verbatim if anybody wants to challenge it, unable to currently reconcile SOS listing with our estimates from yesterday. Do you recall sending that email? Yeah. If you say I sent that, then I sent that. Your Honor, I'd like to lodge an objection. Um, we need to see the exhibit if if he's going to use it. Thank you. Correct the record if I quoted that wrong. That'd be fine. In fact, that's sorry. Fired. If you're going to use an exhibit, that you show the other side before. Mr. Your Honor, my apologies. And And is that one of the? This this is Your Honor. This is Exhibit 69. But for some reason, we did come in and test this system with that computer with this AV technician prior to trial, Your Honor. Everything functioned perfectly fine. We're not sure what the uh, disconnect is at this time. 
Okay. Any objection? No, no objection, Your Honor. Thank you. I would move to admit then Exhibit 69, Your Honor. No objection. Uh, did anybody from your office miss? Asking if they had an objection. Uh, um, the the email that I just looked at, there's no objection. I don't know if that's number 69 or not, but assuming it is, there's no objection to the admission. Thank you, Your Honor. It's, you're vowing to me that it is 69. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yes, Your Honor. Pretty sure isn't going to get us there. Um, but yeah, um, Exhibit 69, Your Honor. Thank you. Then Exhibit 69 is admitted. All right. Your Honor, Your Honor, I'm sorry. Before we move on, they provided letter numbers. Can we get the, the letter numbers so that we can just keep track of? Do you have Mark? I'll have a list provided to counsel that jives our numbers with the court's number, Sean. Thank you. But... <laughs> For the interim, I'd like to use the court's numbering system. Understood, Your Honor. And that's what I'm doing when I, I said Exhibit 69, Your Honor. Thank you. And my AV tech knows which exhibit that is. Thank you. Your Honor. I'm going to have to pause to make sure that they understand what you're referring to before we go forward. Your Honor, um, I would like to request that um, despite me saying that I have no objection to the admission, assuming it's 69, that we confirm that exhibit number before the court actually admits it. That's what you're supposed to do at the time he's seeking to admit it. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put an asterisk next to it. And well, there, there is no way your honor that I'm without seeing the numbering system and making sure that we're not objecting to the right exhibit. Okay. Exhibit 60. Okay. Your Honor, he's shown me he's shown me the list. There's no objection to the admission. Let me, gentlemen, let me do this for you. Because the numbers were not correctly, the exhibits were not correctly labeled Understood. by plaintiff. My clerk worked on this till 11 o'clock last night. Understood, Your Honor. No. So I'm not, let me finish. She has a list that she's using mm-hmm. to correlate what you originally submitted with the numbers that have been assigned. So what we will do is, once you are referring to an exhibit for the record, Mr. Blem, as you've done, I appreciate that. Then she will provide the defendants with the reference that is associated with your list that you um, shared with them. Yes. And, and your honor, if it please the court, I can cite both. I can say courts exhibit defense exhibit. That would be, that would be fine. Yes. Well, if the defendants are all right with that. Are you good with that? Yes, Your Honor. Well, then, thank you, Mr. Blum. Let's move on. Recorder Richard, did you have anyone from your office call Runbeck on December 10th asking them how many ballots they processed? Not at my direction. Not, not at your direction. On November 10th, did you actually know how many ballots you had processed with respect to drop boxes? Yeah, I mean, yes or no? I, I, I mean, process is, is not even a term we use, so I'm a little confused as, as to that. And also, okay. we do it at Runback. It is not done by Runback. It is our personnel at Runback under the observation of the political parties. Okay. And so do you recall reporting to the Secretary of State on the 10th of December that 
There were actually 200, or would that have been the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors? My apologies. My office and I do not report to the Secretary of State's portal. All right. And so the numbers you were putting out of 275,000 on December 9th were not correct. Is that correct? I believe I said 275,000 plus. Okay. And so the correct number as reported at least by the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, are you familiar with that as being 292,000? That sounds right. Okay. And are you familiar with Maricopa County delivery receipts? I, from which, which particular receipt? I, I might know them under a different name. Maricopa County delivery receipts are those that Maricopa County uses to deliver ballots to run back. The white slip, that's the uh, the one that has two date, serial number, transport staff. All right. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to I'm not going to spend the time if you don't understand your own documents. Um, Objection, Your Honor. Mr. Blam, that's not a question. That was a comment. I'll thank you. Strike that. I'll strike the comment and the question. Your first Honor. strike. Okay, has the Attorney General opened an investigation into uh, the 2022 Maricopa election? No. You don't know? Have you received no, correspondence? No, 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 no. I said no. Yes, I understand that. My next question is, have you received correspondence from the Arizona Attorney General's office asking you to explain certain components of the election? The they were almost exclusively directed to the Board of Supervisors. I responded. I have not received a response back from Ms. Wright. Almost exclusively, correct? I believe there were some questions about provisional ballots. Okay. I have no further questions. Thank you. I'm going to have exhibits or not? Yeah. Are we going to go ahead and proceed? Your Honor, is there any way that um, we can have the camera on me so that the recorder can see me. So I could not see Mr. Blem. I believe it was asking the questions. Excuse me. I'm not sure if it's automated or not. Okay. We we can move on. It's all right. I can um, see Mr. Blem now and I can see. Okay. I can see the, the both uh, attorneys benches. It's all right. We can move on. Um, good morning, Mr. Recorder. Good to see you. Um, you don't have to identify the exact location, but where are you right now? Panama City. Well, all right. And, um, so uh, are are you on vacation? First time in four years. All right. And, uh, have you been busy the last couple of years? (laughs) I have been. It's been exciting and, and worthwhile. All right. And just for the record, recorder, would you normally appear in court um, without a suit? I most certainly would not. And I apologize for any breach of sartorial standard. It was all I had available to me when I was made aware that this might be a possibility. All right. Thank you, recorder. I'm sure your honor understands. Um, I want to ask just a few questions to follow up um, with what Mr. Blum asked you. Um First, um, do you have in your employee and a co-director of the elections department for early voting? I do. His name is Mr. Valenzuela. He would be more knowledgeable about these topics than I. Okay. And I know you're very hands-on. 
Um, but you have appointed him to oversee the recorder's early voting operations. Is that correct? Him and many others, but he leads those, correct. Okay. Um, would would the raise oversight extend to the receipt of early ballots at McTech? It would. Okay. Um, do you have an employee who oversees public records requests? We do. And you have a small team that handles public records requests, isn't that right? We have a team that handles constituent relations, but there is only one individual who is exclusively tasked with public records requests, and she has been quite busy over the last two years. Yeah, quite busy. I don't expect you to know the exact number, but do you have a reasonable estimate of how many public records requests your office has received this calendar year? I believe it's about 1,500, which represents a approximately tenfold increase over previous years. Okay. And um, do you personally respond to public records requests? No. You, you as the recorder? Yeah, you do I not. Do not. Okay. Um, and so while you're very hands-on on elections operations, would you say you're hands-on on public records requests? I have a system that is built, but no, I do not see that. And that's by design because uh, a lot of the public records requests make requests of my emails specifically. And so I think it's a good practice to delegate that to other people, especially people who are not the target of as many requests. So a line employee. Correct. Okay. So uh, a celebrated and appreciated line employee. <laughs> Very much so, recorder. Um, so as you sit here today and as, as you're sitting here testifying, do you actually know whether your public, re- public records team has completely responded to a public records request for chain of custody documents? I do not. Okay, thank you. Um, on election night and the first few days following the election, uh, Do you know whether your office and the Board of Supervisors sometimes make estimates regarding how many ballots were returned? We try to make estimates as quickly as we can while still doing it responsibly, which is why I gave that 275,000 plus, because as I'm sure you'll appreciate, candidates, campaigns have a strong interest in assessing the size of remaining ballots to run their own models, to assess whether it's it's over or whether they still have a chance. And so we try to, to get those out, like I said, as quickly as possible while still being responsible. Okay. So um, when you wrote 270,000 plus or 275,000 plus, I don't remember the exact number, but when you included that plus, What exactly were you trying to communicate? Uh, The plus, I thought, was a clear indication that it was a estimate. Obviously, it was 275,000 followed by three zeros, which would be unlikely if that were the final number. Um, I apologize if that wasn't clearly conveyed. Uh, I I think it was clear, recorder. Um, Do you know whether whether sometimes estimates are done by counting the trays of ballots, by counting the the number of trays in which ballots are? 
Correct. And that is what we are doing throughout the evening. So we'll get these between 10 p.m. and midnight on election night. This is those early ballot drop-offs. Now, we received 120,000 more early ballot drop-offs on election night than we that the office had ever received before. So as these boxes were coming in and as we were organizing them, we were assessing them by tray before confirming the official count, and that's how I most likely got that estimate number. Okay, thank you, recorder. Um, again, I'm not I'm not asking you to be a legal expert. I'm asking, do you know or do you have an understanding? Do you have an understanding of whether the law requires that early ballots be counted at the vote center? Early ballots actually cannot be counted at the vote center because they are governed still by early voting law, which is my domain, if you will. And we have to do a whole bunch of things before we can properly tabulate the ballot that is inside that early ballot ballot envelope. And that includes scanning it in. That includes imaging it. That includes signature verifying it. That includes sending it to a signature verification audit queue. That includes sending it to a bipartisan ballot processing team. We keep all tabs all through this process such that if somebody, for instance, puts two ballots in one envelope or if a ballot is damaged inside of an envelope, that will be marked by the bipartisan team. And that's actually what I spend a lot of my time on Thursday, Friday and Saturday in that big room doing. And then at that point, we send them in batches of 200 with that slip, that uh, pink and yellow and white slip into the board of supervisors such that they can then tabulate them. Okay, thank you, recorder. And I believe you uh, testified earlier. Well, let me just ask you, uh, because I don't have what you testified in front of me. Um, Is it true that early ballots are transported in a secure and sealed transport container uh, back to from the vote center back to McTech? Yeah, I'll add a little more color to that, if you don't mind. Please. They are. So prior to Election Day, they make daily sweeps. And when I say they, I mean a bipartisan team of two temporary employees of the Maricopa County Recorder's Office. They go to, say, a voting location where there's a ballot drop box. They will sign the form. The person at the location will sign the form. They will write down the tamper evidence seals on the Tupperware bin in which the early ballots are placed after removing them from that big, big blue container. They'll write down the seals to make sure that the seals are affixed. They'll put it back in the truck. They'll have one of these for every single box. Then when they go back to MCTEC, they'll make sure that the seals are still affixed. They'll make sure that the numbers are the same. They'll scan them in, and then they'll break those seals, and then they will count the number of early ballots there, and they will sign off at MCTEC as well. Thank you, recorder. Uh, just a few more questions and we are done. Um, first, would you state for the record your party affiliation? I'm a registered Republican. Okay. Um, recorder, I'm going to ask you a very direct question. Did you personally do anything to sabotage the election, the 2022 election, including, um, some, uh, some type of activity performed on the printers? 
to, to make the printers not print correctly? Absolutely not. And the, as mentioned previously, election day operations are, are not under my statutory control, but certainly irrespective of that, I certainly wouldn't have done that. I feel that the early voting process went well in both the August primary, the November general election. We'll continue to analyze it. We'll continue to hopefully improve it. I'm already talking with the state legislature about maybe changes to our law so that we can continue to improve the system. But no, to answer your question directly, Joe, uh, that, that would be unacceptable. And the first thing that I tell every single new employee is that integrity is the, of the utmost importance to this office, both because of the values that we should seek to, to cherish and because of the intense spotlight. And so even something like an email like that, um, that Mr. Blem referenced, we would, of course, document and, and we produced. Um, I assume that email was produced by our public records office, and we do that because it's the appropriate thing to do and because we have nothing to hide. Okay, final question, Mr. Recorder, and thank you. Um, are you aware of anybody who purposefully uh, interfered with the printer's ability to print ballots dark enough to be read by precinct-based tabulators? Absolutely not. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Recorder. And we appreciate you taking your time to be here. Nothing further, Your Honor. You, I've just got a couple of quick questions. Uh, Recorder, uh, is it true that you did not support my client in the election for governor's race? I don't believe I ever made a single public comment about Ms. Lake's candidacy or her as a person prior to November 8th, 2022. Isn't it true that you ran a political action committee that was opposed and spent money opposing my client for governor? That is 100% false. 100% false? Correct. Thank you. And I have no further questions of this witness, Your Honor. May we excuse the witness? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Richard. You're excused, sir. And, and Thank your you. Apologies again, Mr. For Blam, hold on. One, Mr. Blam, did you have something before I excuse him? Uh, no, I don't. Thank you. You're excused, Mr. Richard. Thank yes. you. I just want to take a, about a minute to address the technical issue, Your Honor. As I've informed this court, uh, my audio video specialist and I did come to this courtroom and test our audio video equipment on this court system, Your Honor. And we used a cable that was attached in this desk here that is no longer present. Everything functioned perfectly at that test, Your Honor. And so we came today and that cable's gone and we're using a different cable. It's my understanding the staff is working with the technical side to try to fix what's happening. But I wanted the court to be aware that we did do our due diligence and come before this court to do that. Thank you, Mr. Blum. Um, okay. Who would be your next witness? Your Honor, uh, plaintiffs would call Mr. Jarrett. All right. Thank you. We'll help you. Tell them what page you want. I got to go. Sir, if you'll make your way in front of my clerk, she will swear you in. Right now, though. 
Thank you, sir. If you would just make your way over to the witness stand. As soon as you're ready, Mr. Olson, you may proceed. Yes, Your Honor. Good morning, Mr. Jarrett. Good morning. Can you please state your full name for the record? Robert Scott Jarrett. And what is your occupation? I am the co-elections director. I oversee um, in-person voting and tabulation. How long have you held that position? So I've been, I was appointed by the Board of Supervisors, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in June 2019. Can you uh, please explain to the court what your role is in overseeing elections in that capacity? Yeah, so I oversee all in-person voting operations, um, which, and for that, I actually report up to both the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and the recorder, so that'd be the in early in-person, as well as the election day operations. That includes recruitment and training of poll workers. That includes our warehouse operations for distributing all materials and supplies out to voting locations. And then I also oversee all tabulation functions. When you say uh, it includes all tabulation functions, what do you mean by that? So that would include um, tabulation at our central count facility. So where we had about 84% of the early ballots come through and be tabulated at central count. That would also include at our voting locations where we have an on-site tabulator as well. And so it would include the programming of that equipment or the staff that do the actual programming. I oversee them and supervise that them, as well as um, any of the tabulation that happens on site. So the poll workers and the training on how they would um, assist voters as they are inserting their ballots into those tabulators. And are you following the procedure set forth in the 2019 election procedure annual when you're performing uh, the tests of the tabulators prior to an election? That's correct. And would that uh, would those procedures require you to perform logic and accuracy testing? That's correct. And what is logic and accuracy testing? So a logic and accuracy test that is a two different sets of tests for a federal or a statewide election that uh, requires that a test be performed by the county itself as well as a test performed by the Secretary of State. So I don't oversee the Secretary of State's logic and accuracy test. I have to make the equipment available for the Secretary of State's logic and accuracy test. For the county's logic and accuracy test, that is um, to run test ballots through, and for the county's test, it's thousands of test ballots through our tabulation equipment, both the central count tabulation equipment, as well as the um, tabulation equipment that will be used at the vote centers to make sure that they're accurately programmed to tabulate those ballots. And when you say that to make sure that they're ac- they're accurately programmed to tabulate those ballots, what are you referring to being programmed? So for every election, we have to design a unique election program to tabulate the specific ballot because each ballot is unique or specific to an election. In Maricopa County, we had over 12,000 different ballot styles. Um, so in that, we're for all the various different precincts that we have in Maricopa County, as well as our early um, ballot, ballot style, our provisional ballot style, and our election day ballot style. So it is essentially making sure that the tabulation equipment will then be able to read a ballot and then be able to determine how that, if a voter fills in that ballot, um, that it will accurately count the votes for those ballots. And so it's very important for the tabulator to read the ballots that it be properly programmed with respect to the ballot definition, correct? 
That's correct. And Maricopa County uses ballot on demand printers, correct? That's correct. What is a ballot on demand printer? So a ballot on demand printer, we have two different ballot on demand printers. Um, one is a, a Lexmark printer and one is an Oki printer. And those allow us at our voting locations to print any one of those 12,000 ballot styles. Okay. And in performing logic and accuracy testing prior to the 2022 general election, did you perform or did your office perform logic and accuracy testing with test ballots from ballot-on-demand printers in the precinct-based tabulators? So, yes, we did. We printed ballots from our ballot-on-demand printers, and those were included in the test that the Secretary of State did. We also performed um, stress testing before the logic and accuracy test with ballots printed from our ballot-on-demand printers that went through both central count tabulation equipment as well as our precinct-based tabulators for the voting locations. And how were those test ballots configured in terms of the size of the ballot? They were the exact same size of the ballot that we were using in in the general election. And what size was that, sir? A 20-inch ballot. 20-inch ballot. What would happen if a ballot was printed out of a ballot-on-demand printer at the vote center? If it was printed with a 19-inch image on 20-inch paper and run through the tabulator. You'd need to be more specific with your question. So we talked about the ballot definition. And for the 2022 general election, Maricopa was operating with a 20-inch ballot image, correct? That's correct. And the tabulators at the vote center were programmed for to accept and read a ballot with a 20-inch image, correct? That's correct. What would happen if the ballot-on-demand printer printed out a 19-inch image on the 20-inch paper and ran it through the tabulator? We did not specifically test for that because in this specific election, because none of the ballots on our ballot on demand printers had a 19 inch ballot. They all had a 20 inch ballot. So I can answer a question about our testing related to the 20 inch ballot that was installed on all of our ballot on demand printers. If a 19 inch image was installed or strike that if a 19 inch ballot image was printed out on a print on de- a ballot on demand printer and run through the tabulator that was configured for the 2022 general election, would that tabulator accept that ballot or reject it? Objection, Your Honor. First, this calls for speculation. And second, I think the witness just said he hasn't run that test. I, I don't. I got your objection, speculation, without speaking objection. So, Mr. Jarrett. If you've understood the question, you can answer it. If you haven't understood the question, ask to have it rephrased. Um, or if, if you don't know, don't guess. Just tell us you don't know. So do you want the question re-asked or rephrased, sir, before you answer? So I'm willing to say that 
I don't know specifically for this 2020 election. I know based on my historical, not are the 2022 election. I know based on my historical knowledge, the timing marks on the ballot matter, and it would need to be a 20-inch ballot to run through that tabulation equipment. But we did not specifically test a 19-inch ballot through the 2022 tabulation equipment because there were no 19-inch ballot images installed on our ballot-on-demand printers. Prior to the 2022 general election, did Maricopa uh, County employ a 19-inch ballot image? Yes, we did. And when did Maricopa County employ a 19-inch image just prior to the 2022 general election? The most recent election would be the August 2022 primary election. Did Maricopa County uh, perform logic and accuracy testing? Strike that. What evidence exists that shows the results of the logic and accuracy testing that you say was performed in connection with the 2022 general election? So the stress testing, we have a report that summarizes that stress testing that we performed. Uh, um, I So I'm aware that that would be documentation. I also know that the Secretary of State produces a summary level report for their testing that they performed using those ballot on demand printers, 20 inch ballot um, on our our precinct based tabulators, our vote center tabulators. So if we were to issue a subpoena or a discovery request, would the would your office be able to produce such testing results? I can produce them for the ones that with Maricopa County has that information. Yes. Mr. Jarrett, I'd like to introduce what has been marked as Defendant's Exhibit 3. excuse me, two, which is the 2022 elections plan. And it's up on the screen if you can see that. I can see it. And is this a document that you oversaw the creation of? That's correct. And what's the purpose of this document, sir? This purpose was to um, establish the guidance that the elections department would use in carrying out the August primary election and the November general election. And it is to present that information to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors so then they can approve the plan. And then our team within the elections department will implement that plan based on this document. How much effort is put in uh, by your office in creating this plan? A significant amount of effort. And why Why such a significant, significant amount of effort? Because carrying out elections in the second largest jur- voting jurisdiction with millions of different voters and hundreds of different voting locations and then tabulating millions of different ballots takes a significant amount of planning and preparations. And part of that is because you want these elections to go off without a hitch. All things considered, correct? I'd say there's no perfect election, but yes, to minimize um, the issues and then be able to have 
redundancy plans to be able to respond to those issues. Um, I'd like to go to the page that's bait stamped last three digits 41, which is page 11 of the actual document. And while we're doing that, sir, do you have any reason to uh, not believe that this is a true and accurate copy of the 2022 election plan? I have no reason to believe. I take your word for that. And this is your council's production. So do you have any reason to disbelieve? No, I do not. And, uh, Your Honor, at this time, I'd like to move to enter this exhibit into the record. Exhibit 2? Yes, Your Honor. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. Exhibit 2 is admitted. Thank you. <laughs> Sir, at Bates number, last three digits, 041, which again is page 11 of the actual document, you'll see at the top, is a section entitled 2.0 hyphen forecasting turnout and reducing wait times. Do you see that? Yes, I do. What is the purpose of forecasting turnout? It is to guide us on resource planning to determine how many poll workers we need to hire, how many um, temporary or how many poll workers, sorry, just not just poll workers, but temporary workers that work at McTech, how much training we need to provide how many voting locations that we need to identify and find, how many uh, check-in stations that we will need in each of our voting locations, how much paper we need to procure. So all of those types of information are based off the forecast. How much of an effort does your office place on producing an accurate forecast in order to plan for the election? So every election is unique. So we go back to historical elections, similar or like type elections, to try to identify how many people will participate in those different elections because that's the best guiding post. So usually it's the most recent, like elections. So in this case, it would have been the 2018 gubernatorial election or the 2014 um, gubernatorial election. But then we also use other factors, other similar and close elections, so the 2020 elections, differences in how a – the difference in the turnout between a – gubernatorial election and the subsequent uh, presidential election, how that impacts turnout. And then we also went back to decades and decades of turnout rates and ranges um, to identify. So a significant amount of effort goes into forecasting turnout. And and is that performed, is that analysis performed in-house or do you outsource it to, uh, you know, an outside? It's performed in-house. And is it fair to say that that uh, you rely on those forecasts in planning for the election, correct? Yes, that's correct. And a significant amount of money is expended by the county in reliance on those forecasts, correct? That's correct. And you generally trust those forecasts before you promulgate them in this uh, document, before you go ahead and start actually undertaking actual efforts to to uh, manage the election. We understand that they're forecasts. Correct. So they're not exact, but yes, we use those forecasts to make decisions. I'd like to uh, turn to the page that is bait stamped. Last three digits, 043, 
It's actually page 13 of the actual document. Do you see that, sir? I do. Do you see where it says the first forecast model, the 2022 November general election? I do. And under 2022 projected voters for election day turnout, the forecast was for 291,863, correct? That's correct. And if we turn to the next page, bait stamp 044, you'll see a second forecast model. Do you see that, sir? I do. And the projected turnout under the second forecast model was a lower number of 251,615, correct? That's correct. Why did you do two forecast models? Again, because you're looking at historical elections and variances can occur. So the first forecast model looked at 2014 and 2018. My recollection, 2014 was a historically low turnout year. 2018 was one of the higher turnout years. So we expanded this model to look at more and broader um, number of elections to include in that forecast model. So it was the two combined, which gave us a guiding. And when I look at this, 251,615, we had 248,000 in-person voters on election day. And so this document was put out prior to the 2022 primary election, correct? In May of 2022. how was the uh, the turnout for the uh, in the election day turnout for the primary for the 2022 of primary election? I don't remember the specific, but it was I think right around 106 or 108 thousand, um, which was in line with our turnout forecast for the August primary as well. Mm-hmm. And. If we turn back to the page that's page stamped, the preceding page 043, and you see the first forecast model for the 2022 August primary election, that's 108,080, correct? That's correct. And that's associated with the first forecast model, which was the higher turnout, correct? That's correct. So the second forecast model, which had a lower election day turnout for the primary. Was not the most accurate, correct? It was within the range of both. But yes, this first forecast model for the August primary aligned closer with the turnout for the August or the in-person turnout for the August primary. Part, did the forecast, well, strike that. You, you recall that there were issues with uh, ballots being rejected on November 8th, 2022, in the election day, correct? I don't recall ballots being rejected, issues with ballots being rejected. Do you recall tabulators uh, rejecting ballots at at least 70 vote centers during election day? Yes, the, I recall that there was about 70 voting locations that we sent technicians out to 
to change printer settings at because our tabulators were not reading those ballots in. Okay. And did did your forecast model for the uh, for the second forecast where you forecasted 251,615 uh, election day turnout figures? Do you see that? Yes, I do. Did that take into account the problems you just mentioned in terms of the tabulators at 70 locations having issues to reject ballots? What is your specific question? So was the election day issues that we just discussed and by the county's own admission that occurred at 70 vote centers, was that event factored into or an event like it factored into the second forecast model? So first, let me clarify um I didn't acknowledge that there were 70 vote centers that had printer issues. I acknowledge that we sent out 70 our technicians to 70 voting locations. Mm-hmm. Now, for this forecast was just based off of prior historical models turnout. There was no analysis to include if there was an issue on site at any voting location. So there was no analysis in the second forecast model of 251,000 projected turnout that took into account a disruption in the election on election day, November 8th, 2022. None of the forecast models include that type of analysis. Would a disruption uh, such as what was uh, experienced, I mean, would you agree with me that there was a disruption on November 8th, 2022 in the election? I would say that we had some printers that were not printing some timing marks on our ballots dark enough to be read in by our tabulation equipment. Voters had legal and ballot options to still be able to participate within our voting locations. Okay. So I don't agree and will not couch it as a disruption. So you, you don't believe that what happened on November 8th was not a disruption in the election process? I do not couch it as that. Are, are you aware that uh, Supervisor Gates uh, came out on Election Day and said 20% of all vote centers were affected by uh, these issues with ballots being rejected by the tabulators? Again, we didn't have ballots rejected by tabulators. They were not being read in by tabulators, but that's not a disruption when voters still had valid options to participate in dropping in those ballots in our secure door number three, which is a similar process that eight other counties use as their only option for voters to be able to return their ballots. Yeah, Mr. Jerry, you're not answering my question. My question isn't what other options existed for voters. My question is, would you agree that there was a disruption of at least 20% of the vote centers in Maricopa that caused delays in the voting process? Objection, Your Honor. The witness has already answered this question as to whether he characterizes it as a disruption. Yeah. I'll overrule. If you can answer it, you may, sir. I'm not changing my response. Okay. Is he, do you believe that there, did you hear of any reports of wait times to vote of over 60 minutes? Yes, I did. And is, what is the, uh, what is the target uh, wait time for in your, uh, in your model? Do you know? On average, a half an hour. 
Please turn to bait stamped 047, it's page 17. Still exhibit two, correct? Yes, your honor. Thank you. Do you see the section entitled time needed to vote a ballot, Mr. Jarrett? Yes, I do. And do you see the second paragraph under that section where it says on average, we estimate that it will take voters between 4.4 and 6.4 minutes to vote in the 2022 primary ballot and between 8.5 and 10.5 minutes to vote the 2022 November general election ballot? That's the complete and fill out the ballot. So is it your testimony then that 30 minutes is the time audit projected for a, a normal election to enter into the vote center, cast your ballot and leave? No, our average was 30 minutes in line to check in and then to a few minutes to receive their ballot upwards of 8.5 to 10.5. So in the 2020 general election, 8.5 to 10.5 minutes to complete the ballot. And then there could be some time to then wait in line at the tabulator to put in their ballot and feed it into a tabulator. Were you ever, did you ever become aware of, of uh, multiple reports at various vote centers in Maricopa County where wait times exceeded two hours? Exceeded two hours, no. You were not aware of that? I, our data shows that we had some voting locations approaching two hours, but not exceeding. Even at some locations approaching two hours, would you consider that a disruption? That's why we post wait times on our website, which was highly publicized and advertised. And all of those locations, we had close by locations. So, for example, Biltmore was approaching two hours in the last hour of the voting day. With two miles away at Faith Lutheran, there was a voting location that had a one-minute wait time. During that same time, the longest time that last hour of the day. So there were options for voters to be able to participate even at those other voting locations. What are you basing your the reported wait the accuracy of the reported wait times on? On information that poll workers return to us. So it's the number of voters in line at that point in time. They report those every 15 minutes and then we can calculate the wait time based on how long it would take someone to check in at a voting location. So if those poll workers were uh, testifying under oath of wait times over ex exceeding two hours at multiple locations, how would that square with what the county was reporting on its system? Is Are, are they just mistaken or That's making it up? People can make estimates, but unless they're actually timing them, they could be inaccurate. Um, our our wait times are based off exactly how long it takes a voter to check in through that process, and have a ballot, a ballot printed, and based off those numbers of voters that are check, are standing in line at that point in time. And, and how is that figure calculated? When you based, say it's based off that number. How do you calculate it? Based off prior elections. And so we can gauge how long it takes a voter to get in, checked in. And then we can also see how many voters are checking in at a voting location throughout the day. Okay. So you're you're basing the wait time calculation on prior elections, not on what's actually happening on scene at the day of election? Based on the on how quickly a voter can check in through that process. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Sir, I want to uh, 
go back to the earlier question about the 19-inch ballot image being placed on a 20-inch uh, paper. Did you hear of any reports of that occurring in the 2022 general election? I did not. Okay. If that occurred, would that be a failure of Maricopa County's election process? I'm not aware of it occurring, and I'd be surprised if there was a a ballot on demand printer that had a 19 inch ballot on it. Okay, uh, I understand that, sir. But and the reason occurred, why is we did not design a 2022 general election on a 19 inch ballot. That ballot does not exist. The only ballot that exists is a 20 inch ballot. Okay. And when you say we designed, who designed the ballot? Is that outsourced to another company or is that done uh, in-house by Maricopa? In-house by Maricopa County's staff. Who, who, what department would that staff fall under? Is there a specific name for it? Uh, our ballot tabulation team. So it reports to me. Okay. And do you maintain records as to the ballot definition that was uh, created for the 2022 general election? Yes, we have records of all the ballots that were designed. And, and so I'll go back to my question again. If a 19-inch ballot image was put on a 20-inch paper in the 2022 general election, would that be a failure of your election process? It would, if something like that happened, which I don't know how it would, Yes, it would have been a mistake. Um, could that have also been a deliberate act? Again, you're ask, asking me to speculate about things that I have no knowledge of occurring. So I don't know if it could have been a deliberate act or not. I don't believe that that occurred. How much, how involved in you are you in creating the ballot definition? So my team does, and then I overview it, and I'll review examples of those. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Jarrett. Don't have any further questions at this time. Okay, thank you. Your Honor, um, a quick clarifying question as to how the court would like us to proceed. We intend to call Mr. Jarrett in our case in chief tomorrow. Um, and so if the court would like me to reserve all questions for him until tomorrow, we are happy to do that. Uh, however, I would like to ask him a few questions directed just to uh, what was just um, uh, discussed during the direct examination of Mr. Jarrett. You can choose to do it either way you wish. I won't dictate how you try your case. Do you need to stay within the time? Understood, Your Honor. I'll be I have just a very brief cross then. Thank you. Very well. Good morning, Mr. Jarrett. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Joe. Um, just a few very quick questions. Um, I believe you testified that your uh, election day plan called for, or, you know, um, assumed an average wait time of a half hour for each vote center. Was that what you testified? That's correct. Okay. Um, do you know what the actual average wait time was? 
It was less than a few minutes on Election Day, on average for all of our vote centers. Average for all the vote centers was less than a few minutes on Election Day, you just said. That's correct. Okay. In our Canvas presentation, we had the exact number. I don't recall it off, off the top of my head right now. Thank you, Mr. Jarrett. Um, are you aware that one of the political parties urged their voters to forego early voting and vote in person on Election Day? Yes, I'm aware of that. Okay. You're aware of that today? That's correct. All right. Were you aware of that when you prepared your analysis for the election day plan? No, I was not. Okay. Um, so I'm assuming, but you tell me, please, um, this, this urging by a political party was not factored into your election day plan. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. Um, prior to each election, strike that. Um, are you familiar with the term uh, EMS? Yes, election management system. The election management system. What does the election management system do? So it is our tabulation system. So it's what we use to program and design all the ballots. It is also the system that um, as we're running ballots through our tabulators, um, that it's then counting those ballots. It's also then what um, sends ballots to be sent to our electronic adjudication system, and then it's also a host the application for our results tallying and reporting. So everything that was related to the ballot creation, to tabulating the ballots, to reporting results is housed within our election management system. Okay. How many elections can be housed within the EMS? Well, multiple elections can be housed. Given the number of ballots that Maricopa County has to tabulate, we usually only have, especially for a general election, we will only have one house on our election management system at a time. Okay, so for the 2022 general, did you only have the 2022 general on the EMS? That's correct. That's what my understanding is. We only had those and all the data related to those files. What happens to the other data, the, the 2022 primary? What happened to it? So we transfer those to backup archived um, storage devices and store those. We have one storage device of that on site um, at within our tabulation center and then one off site. Okay. And Mr. Jarrett, you testified earlier that um, you, I believe you said you did not design a 19 inch ballot for the 2022 general election. Is that correct? That's correct. So if it was not designed for the 2022 general election, does it stand to reason that there would not have been a 19 inch ballot on the EMS? That's correct. Okay, and if there was no 19-inch ballot on the EMS, does that also mean that there would have been no 19-inch ballot programmed into the ballot-on-demand printers? That's correct. Okay, thank you, Mr. Jarrett. Um, you were asked about deliberate acts with regard to the printers. Mr. Jarrett, I'm going to ask you a very direct question. Did you personally do anything to any ballot-on-demand printer to cause it to print too lightly to be read by a uh, precinct-based tabulator? No, I did not. Did you give an order to any of your personnel to do any such thing? I did not. Are you aware of any order like that being given? I'm not aware of that. Are you aware of any of your personnel engaging in such an act? I am not aware. Are you aware of anybody? engaging in such an act on any of our ballot-on-demand printers used in the 2020, 2022 general election? I am not aware. That's all I have, Your Honor. Thank you. Can we excuse the witness? A brief recross, sir. Recrossing? Wow.
redirect, excuse me. I'll be brief, John. Very well. Mr. Jarrett, I believe uh, you were just asked if uh, questions about whether or not uh, members of a political party encouraged their uh, constituents in the Republican Party to come out and vote on Election Day. Call that? Yes. And was that event factored into your forecast for turnout on Election Day? When we made the initial forecast for the the plans that were submitted to the board in, in May, no, it was not. Okay. So your estimates in the forecast would necessarily be low because they didn't take into account that factor, correct? Our forecast forecast of 251,000, our lowest model, and there was 248,000. So I think they pretty accurately forecasted how many people turned out in person on Election Day. Well, tell me how that squares when, you know, counsel just asked you a question, you know, were you aware that members of the Republican Party were telling Republican voters to come out on Election Day and you didn't account for that? How, how does that square with a lower forecast number? Well, we had record turnout, near record turnout for the 2022 general election. So 64%. You have the only turnout in the recent several decades that exceeded that was actually 2018, which was 64 point something percent turnout as well. So our forecast model was forecasting at potentially the highest turnout percentage that voters would turn out. So that's why it captured and forecasted 251,000, which was very close to 248,000. Actually, your forecast model, you had the other one forecast at over 290,000, correct? That's correct. And that model didn't take into account Republican leaders telling their their Republicans to come out on election day and vote, correct? It did not. It factored in 2020 presidential and 2016 presidential factors, which usually a presidential election is much higher. So that's why it was ranging up to 290,000. Council asked you some questions about a 19-inch ballot image being uh, projected onto a uh, 20-inch paper. Do you recall that? And I asked you questions about that. Yes, I recall that. Do you have any idea how that could occur? I do not. Would it require two different ballot definitions to be installed on the EMS? I, your first question asks if I have any idea how it could occur, and I said I do not. Okay. Do, these, do you know what a site book is? Yes, that's our check-in station. And the site book pulls up the vote voter, correct? Yes, it's connected to our the recorders voter registration system through a virtual private network, secure. So then it would, when a voter checks in, it pulls up their specific information and then would alert our ballot on demand printer, which ballot style to print. Okay. So where does the ballot definition reside then? 
So it's on a laptop that's a, that's connected to our ballot on-demand printers. Thank you. I have nothing further. May you excuse the witness? Yes, Your Honor. Subject to recall tomorrow in our case in chief, of course. Very well. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Step down, sir. Okay. I've allocated some time to, to take a mid-morning break. Um, some of that has to do with my court reporter. Um, so we do need to take a, a recess for that. Um, who would you be calling as your next witness? Uh, your Honor, I was... Matter of fact, I was just going to, uh, talking with counsel about asking the, uh, the court for a short break. I want to reassess, uh, given the time. And so I, if, if I may. Yes, you certainly may, because I'm going to have the mid-morning break here. Yes. So what I'm trying to assess, though, is whether I can shave five minutes off of that or not. Um, your I, Honor, whatever you... No, I, you need a full 15 minutes. No, Your Honor. Okay. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. We'll be back on the record then. We'll stand at recess. Thank you. Yeah. All right.
Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting modes, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com. Fighterflare.com.
All right. We're back on the record in CV 2022-095-403, Blake versus Hobbs. Uh, present for the record are parties in council, the representatives in council. Um, I was just going to bring up a moment of a matter of housekeeping. You okay with Mr. Blem not being here? Mr. Olson? Yes, Your Honor. All right. Okay. At the risk of OSHA violations for my court reporter, um, I'm, uh, what I would like to do is try and, uh, maximize the amount of time we have. Rather than starting at 1.30, we'll start back at 1 o'clock. So we'll go from 12 to 1, cutting 30 minutes off of the lunch break. Um, so we'll do that today and tomorrow. I'd like to start at 8.30 tomorrow rather than 9 o'clock if we can, stretch a little more out of the day. Um, but I think by 4.30, I, 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 you know, I don't want to burn the midnight oil on this. I, I, I think that we need to have focus and attention and be uh, clear-minded. But I think starting at 8.30, coming back early from lunch, that I'm not taxing anybody's mental capacity with that. Do you agree, plaintiffs? Yes, Your Honor. Defendants. Ms. Connor. Honor. The county agrees, Your Honor. Final Secretary, Your Honor. So that's what we'll do. All right. Are you prepared for your next witness? Yes, Your Honor. We call Clay Parikh. Very well, sir. Parikh, if you could come forward, sir, and stand in front of my clerk to be sworn, sir. <laughs> Yes. Sir, if you could make your way around to the witness stand and have a seat. As soon as your witness is situated, you may begin. Are you doing the questioning, Mr. Olson? Yes, Your Honor. Good morning, Mr. Parikh. Could you please state your full name for the record? My name is Clay Uday Parikh. And where do you currently work? I work at Northrop Grumman, a defense contractor. And what do you do with Northrop Grumman? I'm an information security officer. I basically spend my week auditing classified systems, making sure the systems are functioning properly, looking for insider threat and those such actions. Do you have any experience with electronic voting systems? Yes, sir, I do. I have nine years of experience in three voting labs, it's actually two physical sites because Wiley transferred to NTS Laboratories, National Testing Lab, and then at Pro V and V. Does this relate to? Are you, are you familiar with what's called the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission? Yes, sir, I am. In 2008, my very first tasking was to evaluate Wiley Laboratories test procedures, in which I had to evaluate the voting system um, guidelines. And did you perform testing on electronic voting systems in order to certify them uh, in accordance with EAC guidelines? Yes, sir, I was. And you did that for how long? For nine years. And that was through Pro V&V, a voting system testing lab? I was through a professional staffing company, and that's how I was I was contracted on because they had none of the labs had a permanent security specialist. On, on their payroll. I, I was the only one. And when you say 
you know, refer to the labs, in, in this case, Pro V and V. What is a voting system testing lab? So voting system testing lab is where the, a, a vendor submits to the EAC a test plan. It gets submitted to the EAC, it gets approved, and they go to a voting system test lab. There's a project that's done up and they get a te- they get tested. These tests can go either by the EAC for federal certification or they can go by the Secretary of State. That depends on the state's um, requirements under their laws as far as their certification efforts. Do you know what voting system testing lab uh, certifies the electronic voting machines used in Maricopa County? Objection, Your Honor. Relevance. I believe this line of questioning about certification is no longer on the table given the court's ruling earlier this week. Yeah, a lot of the question for certification, I, I mean, qualifications, purposes, so I'll give them a little bit of leeway. You can answer the question if you're able to, Mr. Preet. Yes, it's pro Um do you have a background in cybersecurity, Mr. Parikh? I have about 20 years of experience in cybersecurity. Can you, uh, you know, just briefly go through some of your qualifications uh, with the court in cybersecurity? A, yes, sir, I can. I have a Master of Science in cybersecurity, which it's on a sci- computer science track. I also have a Bachelor's in computer science systems major. I have the... Certified Information System Security Professional Certification. I've had that for since to, the beginning of 2007. That is the gold standard as far as secur- security certifications are considered. I'm also a certified ethical hacker, and I'm also a certified hacking forensic investigator. What, what, what is a certified hacking forensic, forensic investigator? That means you, you go in, you... You do a forensic analysis specifically looking for malicious malware. You do root cause analysis. You find out what the malware was, how it infected, and that. These are not your standard forensics type approaches that most law enforcement agencies would use. Their standard is a little bit slower because of the evidentiary stuff. But if you're in in an incident response center, as I've as I've helped run in the past, when you have an emergency or something happens, you have to react then. And and these are the type of actions that you learn. You learn to get in, do the analysis quickly, make sure you're secure in your analysis because you have to come up with remediation efforts. Prior to, how long have you been at Northrop Grumman? Just about three years. Okay. So prior to uh, working with Northrop Grumman, uh, did you work in uh, in a uh, cyber capacity for the, the the U.S. government? Yes, I have. Could I you have. could you describe some of your positions starting, you know, for the past fifteen years, twenty years that you've been involved in and what you did, just briefly? I've worked in anywhere from mid-sized companies that that dealt with cybersecurity information assurance to as large as some of the larger ones. I've worked for Lockheed Martin which is a good tenure of my time, Lidos Corporation, BAE Systems. And in all those capacities, I did information assurance, cybersecurity. At one stint with a smaller company, I was to perform threat for an agency within the United States Army. Did you ever work with uh, the Marshall Space Flight Center? Yes, I was. I was the IT security manager for the enterprise operations. And and. Just briefly, what, what does the IT security manager do? I'm in charge of making sure the vulnerability scans were done, 
that all the security configurations, that all the governance and compliance that NASA developed for their security postures and, and daily operations and continuity of operations were followed. Um, did you ever work for the Army Corps of Engineers? Yes, sir. I was the deputy cyber manager for their enterprise operation, which includes 52 major sites um, through, throughout the world. And in that capacity, what were your job responsibilities? I, I was the deputy cyber manager, and because my certifications and qualifications, I helped the security operations center manager handle his task in monitoring, and I also helped the security incident response manager in her functions because they the ones who were, that react to when the Army Corps attacked, and they're attacked a lot. Do you possess a security clearance, Mr. Parikh? Yes, sir, I do. I'm currently a top secret cleared, but I've had, I've held SCI levels before. Were you, did you ever work with, um, the Army Threat Systems Management Office? Yes, sir. That's where I played threat. I attack systems and whether it was an information system, a medical system or a weapon system. <clears throat> Do you have any other certifications besides CISSP or the Certified Forensic, Certified Hacking Forensic Investigator or Certified Ethical Hacker? Yes, sir. I have an ITIL-3 certification, which is an international uh, process for handling IT service management. It's it's much like the Six Sigma. Um, s- several companies like Lockheed Modern have their own. That's called LM21. These are all process improvements to refine and affect the quality output and service that you provide. Have you ever, are you familiar with the phrase uh, root cause analysis? I am very familiar with the root cause analysis. Could you please just briefly explain what root cause analysis refers to? In simple, in simple terms, it's basically troubleshooting, but you have to find what caused the, the, the initial issue to happen. Sometimes this can be very complicated. Sometimes it's, it, 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 it can be fairly easy, but you have to have an intense understanding of their overall um, process involved in any organization. And this root cause analysis could be done from what's called a governance perspective, where you look at documentation process procedures because flaws within those can, can produce the issue, or it can be from a technical finding. I've done... Uh, hundreds to probably thousands of root cause analysis in all different types of environments. Could you give uh, an example of, of an actual event in which you uh, mm-hmm. led the effort for a root cause analysis mm-hmm. and just kind of just a quick, a quick overview? I've, I've done one for the Navy Marine Corps Internet, which was the world's largest WAN. They did, which has... Tens of thousands of workstations. There was a an issue that resolved. They were having after upgrades of the operating systems. They had technical issues, and based on those type of issues and analyzed and know what was going on, I requested that the BIOS data be provided, and that and that ended up the root cause because the problem systems have that because they did not properly manage the BIOS. That's a low level technical one. There's been others involved where the Air Force had it. What's I would say world facing internet site. It's on, it's on, was on the internet, got pulled down because of vulnerability was found. And I did the root, I was put in charge to do the root cause analysis to find out how the system was compromised, what happened and suggested the mitigation efforts. 
Have there ever been any criminal prosecutions that have resulted from your work? Yes, both federally and from privately from an employer. So the federal government relied on your assessment of a situation in order to bring criminal charges against somebody? Several times. Some of those I cannot talk about because of the nature and the classification. Did you uh, do an analysis of the uh, events that took place in the Election Day operations in Maricopa County? Yes, sir, I did. And what did you do in terms of your assessment of that situation? I do like I do with any system that's involved with electronic voting systems. I look at the state statutes and what they they reported to the federal government, as in this case, Arizona follows HAVA, and, and that's in their laws and statutes. Then I go from that, look at the systems they use. Then I look at their procedures. I downloaded the Secretary of State's elections manual, the Maricopa elections manual. I, I've read through testimony, declarations. I reviewed the EAC certification of the electronic voting system, the test reports from ProVNB concerning the election system. I read, I downloaded and read the applicable Title 16 part of the Arizona statutes, which covers the election systems. Then I read a lot of testimony. I watched a lot of the video televised meetings that Maricopa conducted and in a lot of the video testimonies. Okay. And did you interview or speak with any uh, election day workers like tech uh, technicians who participated uh, retained by Maricopa? Uh, to uh, work at the various vote centers on November 8th, 2022? Yes, sir, I did. I, I, I had spoken with a, um, a after seeing his de- the declaration and, and, and an interview conducted for the declaration, I, I asked to interview them and ask specific questions. Uh, did you perform an inspection of the ballots on behalf of plaintiff in connection with uh, an inspection pursuant to ARS 16677? Yes, sir, I did. And when did that inspection take place? That was just yesterday. And without saying what your conclusion was from that inspection, uh, did you reach a conclusion? It confirmed my initial my initial assumptions on, on the possible effects of what caused the technical issues. Yes, sir. Uh, Your Honor, at this time, we'd like to offer Mr. Parikh as an expert. Arizona doesn't do that. Basically, you can ask the questions and then it's an objection as to foundation. So, okay. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Parikh, you examined the ballots in the inspection at uh, performed at MTech yesterday, correct? Yes, sir. I was allowed to select a sampling per the per the request in the courts. Can, can you describe? Did you have a plan going into uh, that inspection with what ballots you wanted to select and and, uh, and inspect? Yes, sir. Could could you describe that plan? Do a FOIA request. The cast vote records were publicly available. I reviewed those, analyzed the data, 
and and selected the roundness based so I could follow the course directions for the petition. So I knew exactly what to request because it was time consuming and Maricopa County was gracious enough to give us that time. So I wanted to use it wisely and make my decision quickly and accurately. Um, approximate, do you know how many uh, vote centers uh, you were able to inspect ballots from? I was allowed to inspect from six vote centers. Were you able to execute on your uh, plan after you went into uh, MTech to select ballots? There were some modifications to the plans because the election day ballot data, the cast vote records, which would be referred to as a system of record because it has to be maintained in its integrity, what was no longer valid due to the, step, the, the recounts. And when you say it was no longer valid, what do you mean? Um, the, the ballots had been, they had been retabulated for the recounts. Thus, they, Maricopa County was unable to, to map those back. And uh, were some of the ballots that you inspected uh, duplicated ballots? Yes, sir, they were. And, and what are duplicated ballots? Duplicated ballots are when there's an issue with the ballot and it cannot be ran through the tabulation system. Therefore, it is duplicated, and then that duplication is run through the system. And is that duplication then the, the ballot that is actually tabulated and, and counted? Yes, sir. The way the process works is the original ballot has to have the duplication ID attached to it, which Maricopa did. The part that where they failed in the statue is, is according to the standards, that duplication ballot is supposed to be easily relatable to, to the original ballot. They said they could not find the, the, let me correct that. They could not find the duplicated ballot, which was tabulated. So you inspected the original ballot that was duplicated? Yes, sir. And do I understand correctly that under your understanding of, of Arizona law is that the the uh, duplicate ballot and the original ballot are supposed to be uh, maintained together physically. Yes, sir. That's 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 the EAC requirement. That's that's the, that's a standard when duplication is done. And the duplicate ballot, which is the ballot that was counted, yes, sir, uh, was not available for you to inspect because of that. No, sir. It was not. Um, why would there be? Could you tell me again why there might be a duplicated ballot situation? It, it would be because it physically could, it was physically damaged. I, I did see torn ballots. Um, they could have coffee stains on them. They could have ink marks, um, or, or they could just be improperly configured. How long did you take to conduct your inspection? It, we were there all day, except for a, a 45 minute lunch break. Uh, it took the morning because of not being able to track the selected ballots that I wanted to look at. Um, we, we've worked together and, and found the samplings and that took all morning to get that sorted out. And did you take notes contemporaneously with your inspection? Yes, sir. Approximately how many ballots did you inspect? There were 348 that were set aside and then there were approximately 25 because we did not finish because of the time restraint. And out of that 348 that were set aside, how many were uh, ballots 
printed from a ballot on demand printer? In what I analyzed between the six vote centers, I specifically, and then there were the, the spoiled ballots that could be examined. I requested that the spoiled ballots be from those same, same vote centers. This allows me a more accurate response to be able to look at a spoiled ballot and see it's just the same ballot ID and the, the same actual ballot style as another ballot within that same voting center. The, the one thing that I, I have to point out is out of all the spoiled ballots and the duplicated original ballots, there were a total of 113 ballots examined. 48 of those existed because there was a 19-inch image of a ballot printed on 20-inch paper. Objection, Your Honor. Move to strike as non-responsive. Not sure what question he was answering. Well, I don't know that it was non-responsive. Um, I'll overrule it. You can cross-examine. Thank you, Your Honor. So, Mr. Parikh, you, it's your testimony upon inspection of uh, these ballots that you uh, determined that there was a 19-inch ballot image uh, projected onto the 20-inch paper. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. And that's one of the initial things when I initially were reviewing evidence that was presented and in the public, I saw that the ballots and that was to me was easily identifiable. Okay. And is this something that uh, going into this inspection you had seen evidence of? Yes, sir. And what evidence was that? That was a photograph of a spoiled ballot right next to the reprinted ballot from a vote center included in my declaration. When you say that's included, do you mean the photographs? Yes, sir. And so when you were inspecting the ballots yesterday and you determined that uh, the duplicated ballots and the spoiled ballots, I'll strike that. How many duplicated ballots did you inspect? Fifteen total. And out of uh, that, and duplicated again means that the ballot uh, was not, uh, was rejected by the tabulator? For some reason? Yes, sir. It could not be tabulated at either the ICP2s, which are at the vote center, or the ICC at MTEC. Out of that 15, how many of those contained a 19-inch ballot image on 20-inch paper? 14. 14. What about the other remaining ones? It was physically defective. And when you say physically? Slightly torn. Can you explain to the court how a 19-inch ballot image, let's strike that. How did you determine that it was a 19-inch ballot image projected onto 20-inch paper? Because these ballot images are a PDF file which gets stored along with configuration settings. That's what makes up the ballot style and the ballot definition, which is created usually on the EMS, which the actual application that does the ballot style is called EED, right? That's the application that actually does the ballot style. It's usually installed on the EMS servers. That application creates that style, the definition, because it needs those things because it gets loaded on the tabulator. That's how it's evaluated when the image is created. And that's the print job, to use a common term, that gets sent to the printer. And 
how could and and how, how did you determine that it was actually a 19 inch image projected onto a 20 inch paper i i can i can determine that 100 percent of all the ballots are rejected because the mechanics of a printer the feeds are not always accurate. On the 20-inch ballots, you can see the same. I refer to them as tick marks, but they're actually the borders of the image that is sent. And on the 20-inch ballots, you'll see about the very corner above the borders where there's any misfeed. On the 19-inch ballots, they were well viewable in the more in the margins. There are there are 90-degree right angles at each corner of the page and the image. Did, did you physically measure? The, the ballots to determine that? Yes, sir, I did. I, I requested a ruler and Maricopa graciously got me one and they got one of the other inspectors a ruler. How could a 19 inch ballot image appear? We'll strike that. You've heard previous testimony. Were you here for Mr. Jarrett's testimony? Yes, sir, I was. And did you hear Mr. Jarrett testify that in the November 2022 general election, a 20-inch ballot was used? Yes, sir, I did. And did you hear Mr. Jarrett testify that it would be a failure of the system if a 19-inch ballot image was projected onto a 20-inch paper? Objection, Your Honor, that misstates the testimony of the prior witness as to the word failure. I'm assuming you're going to follow up with a question for an opinion. I think you can frame it as a hypothetical without arguing about. The yes, Roberts. Go ahead. Rephrase. In an election, which is purportedly designed to take place with a 20 inch ballot image on 20 inch paper. How could a 19-inch ballot image appear? Objection called for speculation. Let's ask a question first, yes or no, if you can tell. Ask him if he can tell, and then the objection, and you can re-ask the question. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Parikh, uh, given your experience and training, particularly with electronic voting systems at nine years, can you tell what the cause of a 19-inch ballot image being projected on 20-inch paper would be? Yes, I can. I could give you both the technical ways that it could happen. There are only two ways that it can happen. Can you tell the court the two ways that that can happen? One way is by changing the printer adjustments. That would make the printer adjustments and settings override the image file that was set. The other is from the application side or the operating system side. This is the same for anybody who ever prints anything at home. Your your Microsoft Word can send the settings or it can say to use the default settings of the printers. And the application doing it, in this case, as it's elect, as it's a ballot, would have to be that there was a 19-inch image ballot definition. And where does that definition reside? It That can vary depending on the system. But from what I heard in the testimony, it resides on the laptop that's connected to the printer, which would I've seen it referred to as a control printer, but this is actually what would be called a print spooler. 
and it controls the print jobs to allow the printer to take on the load. And as there were multiple site books, this would be the technical use that that laptop should be used for. Is there any way, in your opinion, for a 19-inch ballot image to be projected on a 20-inch ballot by accident? No, sir. Why not? Because the settings and the configurations and the procedures that are used cannot allow that. These are not a bump up against the printer and the settings change. There are security, there are security configurations. I've reviewed the evidence and the printers are configured via script, which by any large organization that has to do multiple systems is a standard. This takes away the human error of somebody miscoding in the instructions either on the printer. Prior to an election, would the strike that prior to an election, would it be detectable that a 19 inch ballot image had been projected onto 20 inch paper? Yes. If logic and accuracy tested that all voting styles or, or ballot definitions were included, which a, a standard logic and accuracy testing should test every style that's available, and there should be a listing of set styles. Is it – you performed testing for EAC certification, correct? Yes, sir, I have. Is it permissible to have two different ballot definitions in the same election with respect to the size of the ballot image? No, sir. If, For example, if you live in an apartment building and your neighbor and you have the same school board district, you have the same precinct, all the jurisdictions for whether it's local, county, state, or federal are basically the same, that ballot style definition, the ID for it, should be singular. If you do not, then you have two different styles. You're assessing them differently. That can also produce forgery. There's only supposed to be one ballot style per those voting options, and that and that's what controls it. The 19-inch ballot image that you observed in your inspection on multiple ballots, including duplicated and spoiler ballots, correct? Yes, sir. What effect... Would a 19-inch ballot image projected on a 20-inch piece of paper used in the election in Maricopa for November 2022 have when it was placed into one of these vote center tabulators? It, it would cause it to be rejected. According to Dominion's documentation, they performed somewhere for between 200 and 300 checks on the actual physical paper ballot that gets inserted into the system. They state, and this is according to Dominion, the vendor who created the, the application, that it can reject the ballot for any one of those. A 19-inch image being on 20-inch paper increases the margin. Once the timing marks are seen and they're evaluated, the actual physical printer that created the image is saying, by the application telling it, you're done, but there's a remaining inch of paper in there so it would assume there's a paper jam and to the tech i specifically asked there were paper jams to where he opened up and there was no paper so from a programming perspective the machine would throw the paper jam error but yet there would be no paper 
And you're referring to a tech. You say you spoke to a tech. Would that be Aaron Smith? Yes, sir. Okay. And um, what did uh, Mr. Smith tell you? First of all, who who is Aaron? Who is your what is your, who is your what is your understanding of Mr. Smith's uh, role during the November 2022 election? I think he repeatedly followed all the procedures that he was instructed to follow. He put a good, solid effort forward to resolve the issues. It finally became to where the issue could not be resolved according to the procedures, and he actually had to request a replacement tabulator, which so happened to be misconfigured. Uh, do you know why Aaron wanted to testify today? Uh, I think, Your Honor, calls for speculation, lack of foundation. That's going to call for speculation. Withdraw the question, Your Honor. <laughs> What would it take? You mentioned that there are only two possibilities for how a 19-inch image could be uh, configured onto uh, the system to be put on a 20-inch piece of paper, correct? Yes. My, my assessment applies to anything that is printed. Not just not just the specifics of this, but to anything that's printed. These are the way the technology functions. Okay. But you testified that there's only two ways that yes, this there situation could arise. There are only two. Okay. What would it take for you to uh, determine which of the two uh, possibilities is what occurred? Specifically, as I did yesterday, inspecting the ballots. There were about there were some ballots that were spotty, but the spottiness was also on batches from the vote centers that were correctly tabulated. So that 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 confused me. And the stuff that was mentioned about the fusers and the heating, because two, they first said it was a toner issue. When it's not, it's a tray weight issue, which affects the heat of the fusers. The mechanical function of a fuser and heater, from what I observed from the spottiness, did not match what is a standard error. Our example that would be demonstrated. There were one or two occasions that were exactly that way, but that was about two ballots out of all that I examined. But if you were to try to determine whether it was a printer issue, configuration issue, or an issue with the ballot definition with respect to how a 19-inch image was projected onto 20-inch paper, what would you need to do? I, I would need to see the ballot styles and the ballot definitions. In, to, in totality, if there's 15,000 of them, all of them should be examined. Do you have, uh, obviously you've been practicing in the cyber field for two decades, correct? Yes, sir. Um, it includes everything to include printers. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, can you, do you work with printers? Do you understand how printers function and work? And, and at what level is your experience? To, to a detailed level to where I actually called, um, one of the government agencies in the missile defense side to, um, get highly upset because I understand the protocols that run. And it's not just printers. There are multifunctional devices, MFDs as we refer to them, because they can scan, 
they can print, they can send file transfers. And I've, I've evaluated protocols. I've also done root cause analysis because classified printers um, have, they can print classified data even when they're not supposed to because of the rollers. And this is one thing I call it, refer to it as ghost printing. I did I did see that repeatedly on the early vote ballots that are, were printed by Runtech because, in, in my opinion, the ink was a little bit too too deep and too shiny um, for that. And and that it, and I did I was able to even see candidates' names in white space. It's very light and gray, but that's why I refer to it as ghost printing. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend be done with the ballots currently stored at MTech now, given your findings from the inspection? Objection to relevance, lack of foundation, speculation. You need to rephrase the question. Um, I'm going to sustain it. Do you have any concerns regarding the security of the ballots, uh, given your findings from your inspection yesterday that a 19-inch image was projected onto the samples from six different boat centers that you examined of 20-inch paper? Yes, I can. And if it is okay with the court, I have to answer this in two ways. They both are pertinent, but first, I observed ballots were being pulled out and sampled, and they obliged in every direction, whether top, middle, or that, that they were provided. I observed more improperly imaged ballots that were not inspected that were there. Now, to answer the question, those should be secured. I will state in my capacity, I handle everything from physical security to accrediting Buildings for classified information storage. I've been a classified courier, which means I'm authorized to transport classified information. I, as a forensic investigator, I fully understand chain of custody. And what I will cite is that the facility and the security and chain of custody at the vault and the tabulation center are highly inaccurate, and those ballots could be tampered with. They should be they should be sealed and 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 appropriate actions. For example, security seals were only placed on the boxes that we inspected, and that was due to the court order. And they wanted to ensure that the proper security was done. Objection, Your Honor. I'm going to move to strike as non-responsive. I'm not sure again what question that was answering. That was non-responsive to the questions beyond the scope. So. Of what's before the court. So. Thank you, Your Honor. Strike the last part of his answer dealing with the security measures. Your Honor, just a, a point of clarification. You, you said strike the last part. And his answer, he had two parts to his answer. He said first, he observed ballots improperly, image ballots beyond what was sampled. That was part one. Part two is the commentary about the continued or ongoing storage. And the, it's all right. I've been accused of being soft spoken. Part two was the, uh, 
testimony that related to the ongoing security concerns. That's the part that is not relevant to the issues that are before the court today. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Parikh, you mentioned that you saw other ballots that you could see, do I understand that correctly, had a 19-inch ballot image projected onto 20-inch paper? Yes, sir. And how could you tell that? Because the difference in the margin, as they were being taken out of the box and placed on the table and shuffled around, it, it was obvious, it was apparent to me. Okay. Is, is there, when, uh, on these ballots with a 19 inch image, are there marks that kind of, that are different around the corners than the 20 inch ballots? So you will see the corner edges of the, of the image, which would be considered, you know, the actual size of the paper. Those right angle marks at each, the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, are, are within the margin space. They're clearly visible. Did you, uh, you mentioned you kept notes yes, of your inspection. Did you draft a, uh, a report that summarized those notes with conclusions? Yes, sir, I did. If the court were to ask you for it, uh, would you be able to provide it to the court? Yes, sir, I would. And would that report be, uh, would you swear to the accuracy of your conclusions in that report? Yes, I would. And would you swear to the accuracy of your in the results of your inspection in that report? Yes, sir, I would. You meant you testified earlier that having a 19 inch ballot image projected on a 20 inch ballot. as you observed, appearing from ballots cast in six different vote centers. Yes. Duplicated ballots, spoiled ballots. That could only arise from, could it be by accident or, or is it? No, sir. It could not be by accident. Those are configuration changes. that are administrative level on the printer or with a ballot and, and style or de ballot definition file. Okay. And those are done on the EMS system, which has password security and everything else. You have to add the EED application is actually the one that creates the ballot style. That's what's used. It's commonly, it's commonly put on the EMS server because that's like the centerpiece. And the, those two systems are controlled access. You testified earlier that you have been involved in other uh, assessments of um, failures uh, relating to cyber-related issues, correct? Yes, sir. And that we call that a root cause analysis, correct? Yes, sir. I I was part of the working group that established what's called the IRA process, which is a risk analysis and assessment process for the Missile Defense Agency years ago. It's a standard risk analysis and assessment. And in order to do that, that's the basis of how you analyze threat. And then you also, that's why you conduct root cause analysis, because you have to be specific when you out, when you assess risk, risk, excuse me. In, uh, in the performance, in, in your experience, and you testified earlier 
that uh, the federal government was it the federal government that had actually criminally prosecuted people based on your findings in a root cause analysis? Yes, sir. And sometimes they ignored my analysis, but that's beyond. Given your uh, opinion that, strike that, given your opinion and your knowledge of how ballot uh, definitions are configured and how printers work, Does the your finding of a 19-inch image, ballot image, placed on 20-inch paper, does that implicate violations of criminal law? Wait, hold on before you answer that. Objection, Your Honor. Calls for speculation, lack of foundation, and of calls for a legal conclusion. Does call for a legal conclusion. Uh, Your Honor, the witness has testified that. I heard. Yes, Your Honor. I'll, I'll sit down. <laughs> Based on what you have determined on your physical examination of these ballots, your experience both in the, uh, the industry as a, uh, Certified forensic hacking investigator, your CISSP, your skills with, I believe you, you called it, uh, IRAP. Is that? It's, it's, it's IRA. That's the acronym that does it. There are different, and this is specifically for, for, um, technical risk and assessment. This is one of the issues when I work for the voting system test labs to get all the, all the vendors. I've dealt with over seven of them to, to my memory. Right. They, none, none of them performed it. The labs didn't perform it. And I eventually convinced one lab to do this because this is vital to when you're doing system testing, let alone security system testing. And this applies not just to electronic voter systems. This is to all information systems, all technology. These are standard engineering principles. Is there any way you could be wrong about a 19 inch image being placed on 20 inch paper? No, sir. I give the technical options that are there. There are two ways that this can happen. And based on this system and the controls in place, this could not have been an accident. And there are only two options. It would take further investigation, further forensic examination for me to determine exactly which one it was. Thank you, Mr. Parikh. Cross-exam. That be you, Mr. Liddy. Your Honor, I think we're going to break up the cross-examination, if possible, one from the county and one from the governor-elect office as well. And if we could do the counties first, I think we might uh, get to the other one after lunch. Mr. Liddy. Thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate that. As some of these allegations go directly to the conduct of the election by my client, Maricopa County. Is it uh, Mr. Parikh? Is that correct pronunciation? Yes, sir, it is. Sir. And where do you reside, Mr. Parikh? I reside in Huntsville, Alabama. And you traveled up to Maricopa County for this proceeding? Yes, sir, I did. 
And who paid for your travel? The the attorney fund. The attorney fund. What's what's the attorney fund? It, it it's the legal fund. I I believe it's it's for all the attorneys associated with this. With this particular litigation. Yes. And did the attorney fund pay for lodging as well? Pay for your lodging. Yes. Lodging is always considered travel. And are you being paid for your time? Yes. And what is the rate at which you're being paid for your time? 250 an hour. That's also coming from the attorney fund? Yes. Are you familiar with um, an event called Michael Lindell's Moment of Truth? Yes. I spoke at the event. You appeared and spoke at the event? Yes, I did. And where was that event held? In Missouri. Missouri. And was your travel from Alabama to Missouri paid for by someone other than yourself? Yes, sir. And who paid for that? That would, I would assume, would be Mike Lindell. All their travel was arranged. He asked me to speak at the event, and I spoke. And that would be true for your time? Did you also get paid for your time there? I did not charge for my time. And your lodging? That's considered travel that was provided to me. And when you say Mr. Lundell, you're referring to the My Pillow guy? Yes, sir. And you are a cybersecurity professional? Yes, sir, I am. During your investigation of this election, did you detect any hacking involved in the 22 general election in Maricopa County? No, sir. I believe you testified that yesterday you were down at McTech forming the court-ordered inspection of the ballots. Is that correct? Yes, sir, I was. And you were asked to select batches of ballots? Yes. You were asked to identify them. Uh, did you use a highlighter and highlight the boxes? Yes, I did. Did you observe the custodian of those ballots opening those boxes? Yes. They opened up in front of all the inspectors. There was a court reporter inspected. There was the other inspector for the other side, the gentleman sitting over there who said he was as an attorney. We all, we all were there as they went through. Did the individual who opened the box break the seal? By seal, are you referring to the red tape, which is simply red tape and not a security seal? Well, I'm asking you what you observed. I would not categorize what closed the boxes as a seal. Did you see the serial numbers on it? There were no serial numbers. So in your, in your professional opinion, the ballots were not sealed? The ballots did not have an appropriate security seal on the boxes. That's, that's on, so, okay, fine. I, my question was, were the ballots sealed? They were closed with tape. And where were they stored? In the vault and in the tabulation center. Now, would you say that your profession details are important? Yes, they're highly important. And you said that you reviewed 
the statutes prior to initiating this in, this investigation? I, I always have to do that because it's relevant, especially if a state states a statute. So that's a yes. Yes. And you uh, also reviewed federal statutes. Yes. Ava, I think you said. I'll go as far as back as the 1990 FEC standards. I've reviewed them all, every version of the BVSG. And you downloaded Title 16? Yes. I I like to have references before when they're referred to because they've been referred to in the Secretary of State's manual. They were referred to in the Maricopa manuals and procedures. So I like to actually read what's referred to to ensure that it's accurate. And when you read those documents, you pay close attention to detail because that's required by your profession. Is that correct? I'm not a legal attorney. And so I read the laws for what they state and, and how they are. Now, you testified that you reviewed some documents that were provided late campaign by a FOIA request. Is that accurate? Objection, Your Honor. I don't believe you ever testified to that. Well, it's cross-exam, so you can answer the question if he understands it. If you don't understand the questions, Mr. Perry, you can have No, these were public record requests that came from me from other technical professionals. So they were not FOIA requests? They were. Those records were obtained via FOIA request. Are you familiar with FOIA? Can you tell me what FOIA stands for? It's the Freedom of Information Act. And is that a statute, a federal statute or a state statute? That depends on what you're requesting the FOIA for. That's categorized at the federal level and state levels, to my knowledge. So a FOIA can be either a state or a federal, in your understanding? Yes. And if, if federal was FOIA and state was uh, a public records request under the Arizona statute, that would be a detail that doesn't interest you? That if if the data was illegally obtained. That's not the question. The question is, is the detail difference between a federal statute and a state statute of interest here? When I'm provided evidence, I always ask the source of it. And I have received, in my experience, I have received evidence from law enforcement officials where that, in my opinion, were not properly obtained. And as a forensic investigator who understands chain of custody and all the legal ramifications, because for the court's record, the majority of that deals with the statute. For example, the lockpicks that I own as part of my security thing in my state, I have to have a private investigator license. These are the statutes that a forensic investigator handling evidence has to be aware of. Thank you. And when you're working with your security thing, as you said it, are you familiar with federal statutes and state statutes? Objection, Your Honor. Not sure about the question. Well, if he's what confused, kind of I'll withdraw the question, Your Honor. Thank you. Next question. You've just testified that you receive uh, information from law enforcement that's both federal and state law enforcement. Is that correct? I didn't say that. I said it was law enforcement. And, I'm and you testified both federal law enforcement and state law enforcement. Is that correct? What I just told you is I said I received it from law enforcement. Well, when you receive information in your profession from law enforcement, are you familiar whether the law enforcement's federal or state? Yes, when they provide me the evidence, yes. Is that a detail that's important to you? Yes. I believe you testified that you examined some ballots that had been duplicated. Is that correct? Yes. 
And you testified that you examined the originals, but not the duplicates. Is that correct? That's correct. And you examined and you uh, testified that the duplicates were not kept next to the um, duplicate. The duplicates were not kept next to the originals. Is that correct? That's correct. They're supposed to be traceable mm-hmm. and you should easily identify them. Mr. Garrett said that he would have to get his text busy and that it would take them over a week to try to find them. That's your recollection of what Mr. Jarrett said? That is what Mr. Jarrett said. And if the ballots, the originals those and the duplicates were in the boxes right next to each other, would that surprise you? The duplicates that, that I was shown, because they were duplicated, were part of one of the vote centers that and the, he opened both those boxes. And two, because they couldn't identify some of the original duplicates, they had to run and count them so they could try to map them back to which site they belong to. So that's your recollection of what Mr. Jarrett said when you asked to see the originals of the duplicate of the duplicates. No, sir. I'm asking what detail. That's a detail that's important. Do you you're telling this court that when you asked Mr. Jarrett to view the duplicates of the originals that he told you it would take six hours to clarify. I did not ask to see duplicates. They were part of the vote center, and they provided the entirety of what they have for the vote center. They could not provide what was originally. Thank you, Mr. Kerr. I think the important point, and I want to ask you this to make sure that I understand it correctly, is that you did not ask to see the duplicates. Objection misstates his prior testimony argumentative. This is Cross. Just for reference on all Cross, if he doesn't understand the question, he can have it rephrased, but particularly with an expert witness, I think he's capable of answering. If you don't understand, you can have him rephrase it. If you do understand, you can go ahead and answer. Would you like the question restated to you? Yes, sir. Please, Mr. Liddy. Mr. Perrick, is it your recollection that when you asked Mr. Jarrett to see the duplicates and the originals, that he told you it would take six hours to get them. One, I did not ask to see them. They well, were provided. Question, then. Thank you, Mr. Perry. That answered my question. You did not ask to see them. Your Honor, if I may. But there's just, your counsel have redirect. Yes, sir. So. Just to answer his questions for you. I just want to state that we were following. Well, but, but, sure. wait, wait. Understood. I have another question. If you, You've testified that you have a working theory that some of the ballots for the 2022 general election were on 20 inch paper, but were printed at 19 inches. Is that correct? 19-inch image printed on 20-inch paper. It is not a theory. Okay, so it was 20-inch paper. The ballot was 20 inches, correct? The paper was 20 inches. And the image was 19 inches, according to your testimony, correct? The ballot image was 19 inches, yes. Are you familiar with a shrink-to-fit setting on a printer? Yes, Yes, I am. Would a shrink-to-fit setting account for some of the ballots you observed being 19 inches on 20-inch paper? 
that is a possibility, but it would it would violate the configuration settings they had for the voting systems and the tabulators. And you've testified that you're familiar with the election process. Yes, sir. And you testified that if one were to take a 20 inch ballot that's shrunk to 19 inches and put it into a vote center precinct tabulator, it would not get tabulated. It would not get tabulated at any tabulator. Any tabulator. So that includes ICP or the ICCs at Central. Okay. So if it went down to Central, according to your understanding, and it was tried to run through the tower tabulators, it would also not be tabulated. Is that correct? That is correct. And you've just testified that you observed some duplicated ballots. Is it your understanding that a ballot that cannot be tabulated by a precinct-based tabulator and cannot be tabulated by a tower configure tabulator at Central would then be duplicated? It would have to be because it couldn't be tabulated, so and, it would require duplication. And after duplication, what would happen to that ballot? The duplicated ballot, which is supposed to be marked with a specific ID, mm-hmm. and that ID must be recorded on the original, and I saw those stickers on the originals. Question is, what would happen to that ballot? Then the ballot would be rerun through the tab. The duplicated ballot would be run through the tabulator. So it would be tabulated. Is that your testimony? The duplicated ballot would be tabulated. Yes, it should be. Okay, so if a voter walked into a vote center on election day, filled out a ballot, maybe had a shrink-to-fit setting on it, so it wouldn't be counted on the tabletop, we go into door number three, goes on down the McTech, they put it into the to tower tower tabulator, and it doesn't get counted, and then it gets duplicated, and then it gets counted, so that voter's ballot was voted and tabulated. Is that your understanding? But you started you started is that your understanding? Your Honor, I can't answer that question the way he asked the question because it's inaccurate. So that means not your, I'm sorry. You don't understand. You can say, I don't understand, and he can rephrase it so you can understand. But if you don't like the way it's phrased, that's something that your counsel will have to clear up. Yes, sir. Your Honor, if, if I may address the court, I'm, oh, you, that I'm, I'm, I'm provided for technical expertise and give those options. And if the technical scenario is inaccurate, I, I cannot answer the question. Can't, let me try again. Ms. Lake, right here in this room, bona fide candidate for governor of the Grand Canyon State. Hundreds of thousands of voters would love to have had her as the next governor. One of them chooses not to vote in the 26 days of early voting or mail-in voting or emergency vote center voting, but chooses to show up on election day, gets a ballot from a ballot-on-demand printer, and somebody either intentionally or inadvertently has hit the shrink to fit setting and this 20 inch ballot paper comes out 19 inches. This voter fills it out. Carrie Lake want her to be the next governor, throws it into the precinct tabulator. It comes out, goes into door number three, goes down to McTech, the much more sensitive Tabulators, according to you, it would not count it. It would then go to duplication. It would be duplicated. 
then it would be tabulated. Is that your understanding of the elections in Maricopa County? Your technical description is not possible. I apologize. I wasn't attempting to give a technical description. I was just saying what happens based on your testimony. So you're saying in that scenario, that voter who wanted to vote for Kerry Lake would never have that vote tabulated. Is that your testimony? My testimony is that a shrink to fit setting would rely at the application level, which would reside on the EMS, which Mr. Garrett just testified sends the print job to the printer. Therefore, it can't be accidental as all the employees that man the EMS are trained. Whether it's accidental or inadvertent. Would I gave the two like, options, sir. Ask, please allow me to answer the, ask the question. I'll allow you to answer. Whether it's accidental or inadvertent, if the shrink-to-fit 19-inch ballot has to be duplicated, once it's duplicated, would it be tabulated? To your understanding. There are two technical ways that that image would be there. None of the ways you exist is not even possible. That's not not responsive, Your Honor. I understand what you're saying, Mr. Parikh. That's not responsive to his question. If you are able to answer his question, you can do that. Sir, are you able to answer the question? I'm unable to answer your question. Okay. Let me ask a different question. Are duplicated ballots tabulated? Maricopa County, general election, 2022. If they're duplicated correctly and they're and they're configured correctly, yes, they should be. Thank you. No further questions, Your Honor. Okay. We're at the point where we need to break. We're going to take a one-hour, not one-and-a-half-hour recess. So we'll be back here at 1 o'clock to resume. So... Um, Just come back at one o'clock, Mr. Freak, and we'll resume where we left off. Yes, sir. And I will realize I'm still under oath, sir. You read my mind. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All rise. Oh, close. Oh, I was muted. Oh, my goodness. Holy smokes, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I have to admit something here. I had to leave the house for a little bit, and I was watching the hearing at 2x speed trying to get caught up. So I actually missed probably the last 15 minutes there. 
But I just, <laughs> I think I get the gist of it here. So first of all, first of all, we had Stephen Richer, Maricopa County recorder, show up to court with uh, over Zoom from Panama City in a dingy T-shirt looking like freaking Krusty the Clown and admitted, admitted that they broke the law regarding chain of custody, that Maricopa County recorder did not follow the law and count the ballots at the precinct like they were supposed to. Like I told you guys before, I said I believe that the chain of custody issue is Carrie Lake's strongest piece of evidence. I said before this, I said it's going to be very difficult to to prove um, the, the machine breakdown was the result of intentional manipulation. However, however, I have to change that. I have to change that because I think that they actually slam dunked on both counts. We learned today. And by the way, shout out to Mr. Dan Sundin. Those of you that don't know who Dan Sundin is, Dan Sundin is literally like the election guru. The man knows the Dominion manuals like the back of his hand. He is one of the most, I can't even explain Dan Sundin. He's, he's so well versed in all of this from a technical standpoint. And he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Um, and he's, he theorized this long ago like months ago, that the re- the reason the printers or the, the, the Dominion machines were rejecting ballots was the result of ballots being printed on 20-inch paper with 19-inch ballot styles. Somehow, I, I don't know how he knew this, but that was his conclusion months ago. And because I didn't know how he came up with that, I thought, eh, that's just an idea, that's just a theory. But apparently, he was 100% correct. Um, we had the co-elections director of Maricopa County claim under oath that no ballots were designed with, uh, with a 19-inch uh, ballot style to be printed on 20-inch paper. In fact, the, the Maricopa County co-director said that if that was the case, then that would be a failure of the election process. And uh, essentially, he said that that definitely didn't happen on our end. There was no 19-inch ballot style created. So if you found one, then that would obviously be the result of fraud. I mean, I'm parsing what he said, but that's basically what he said. And it it, it appears that Carrie Lake's analysis, the ballot inspection that they got approved by the judge, they found 48 out of 113 ballots that were reviewed had 19-inch ballots, uh, ballot styles printed on 20-inch papers. And per the Dominion manual, this would cause ballots to be rejected. So this wasn't a printer issue, it looks like. It looks like it was an intentional manipulation of the ballot style so that when they're fed through the machines, they would be rejected because they're the wrong size. And as you heard from ProVNV, former ProVNV employee and expert Clay Parikh, who has worked at all levels of government, had uh, security clearances and everything. His his work has has resulted in prosecution, both privately and and uh, in the private sector and the public sector. The dude's credentials are freaking out of this world. His conclusion is this could not have possibly been the result of human error. This had to have been from intentional manipulation. Now, there's two ways that this could have happened. One way 
is somebody changed the ballot printer settings to override the the ballot size configuration image, right? Or it was done by the elections director that designed the ballot. Now, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of forensic expert Eric Spikeen and what he found from the 2020 election. Do you guys remember this? We did an interview of Eric Spikeen. Eric Spikeen, again, is a world-renowned paper expert, and he examined the... uh, the the ballot images that were taken during the audit, and he concluded that there was, what was it, I think 25,000 or 30,000 ballots that were printed using a non-original Dominion PDF file. Do you guys remember this? This was, this was a bombshell. This was the evidence that Carrie, um, I'm sorry, that Karen Fan and her attorney, Corey Langhofer, sat down with Doug Logan the uh the 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 top auditor they sat down with him and they said that if you don't uh pull these instances out of the audit report then we are going to re- we're, we're not going to we're going to revoke your indemnification they made Doug Logan remove this evidence from the audit report or they made they made him change it so that it wasn't as damning what Eric Spikeen found was that there was ballots printed using the not a non-official Dominion PDF file. Meaning, so when you run an election, you have to create, you have to design the ballot. Use like there's an official process. I believe it's uh, Dominion who does it. They create the ballot image, okay, and um. I guess that 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 then goes to the the direct the elections director, right? So there's only one official PDF file. And when ballots are printed using that official PDF file, they come out perfect looking. Like the ovals are perfect, the lettering is perfect, but what Eric Spikeen found was 25,000 or so ballots that were printed where there was breaks in the ovals, there was uh breaks in the lettering, blurring and stuff like that. And he said that these ballots with breaks in the ovals were not printed using the official PDF document, meaning that these were counterfeit ballots. And what he said was it's possible or what he implied was it's possible that somebody somehow uh, recreated the, the, the Dominion PDF and made a fake one, and then used that to print fake ballots. So, um, that's what this reminded me of. That's what this reminded me of. It appears that we have um, fake ballots being printed. Or, uh, there's, there's, like I said, there's two possibilities here. It could have happened where they, they configured the printer settings to override. Like you, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. It's 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 really hard to take all this in and then give commentary immediately afterwards. But basically, um, it could have been somebody altered the printing printer settings intentionally, right? So that the 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 printer, even though the the ballot style 
was created to be 20 inches, they could have configured the settings to override that and make it come out as 19. That's one way. Or it could have been the actual design of the ballot. And if that's the case, we know that the the elections director said under oath there was no 19-inch ballot style in existence. Not from our office. So if that did, if that did happen, it had to have been some outsider that, uh, that created a fake one or they're lying under oath. Regardless, regardless, it appears that we caught them red frickin' handed, ladies and germs. This is exciting, man. This is very, very exciting. Um, I mean, even if that f- fell apart, we still have the chain of custody issue. <laughs> And that's so clear cut, cut and dry, black and white. You've already thrown the election into question, into doubt, and therefore we need a new one. But now it looks like we've proven intentional malice fraud. Holy smokes, man. And and the, the, the laughable part is that Maricopa County's defense against Clay Perique was, oh, you spoke at a My Pillow uh, event. You're you're associated with Michael and Dell, therefore you're not credible. Bull spit, BS, total lunacy. The way they're trying to wiggle out of this, it's absurd. Uh, Clay Perk's credentials speak for themselves, and it doesn't matter who he's associated himself with. So they're trying to taint the witness. They're trying to taint his credibility, but it's not going to work. That's what you do when you don't have. Uh, you, you don't have the ability to actually refute the claim. Then you try to taint the witness. Man, <laughs> I'm I'm I like I'm like backstage having a seizure over here. I swear, man. So Carrie Lake has t- uh, tweeted out that we caught them all. We caught them all, and I, it appears that they have. It appears that they have. We also found out that when Carrie Lake's team went to review the ballots. It appeared that they violated the law. The ballots were not properly sealed, which violates the statute. So again, all of those ballots are then thrown into question. You know, we, 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 we can't prove, um, that those are legal ballots. You can't because the seals were broken. It's kind of like the chain of custody thing. Man, we got them. I feel like we got them dead to freaking rights, man. And unless you, unless this judge gets a call from George Soros, <laughs> This is this is a slam dunk. And this is what this is why they never want this stuff to actually go to trial. Because they know that they can't stand on the truth. They know. They know. Oh my god, man. I'm so freaking pumped right now. You know, I got put in my place last night. I I actually criticized yesterday this ballot inspection where I said it's it's such a small sampling of ballots, it's a nothing burger. I mean, why should we get excited about 150 ballots being inspected or whatever. And I actually got a response. Uh, Brian Blim, Carrie Lake's attorney, his wife actually replied to me and responded. And she said, you're missing the point. You're wrong. Uh, actually, the ballot inspection is so important because when we get to take a look at the election day ballots that were printed using the ballot on demand printers, that will allow us to see why the machines were rejecting them. And I was like, Duh, of course, I'm an idiot. And there I go with my frick. I love, I love when I take a black pill take and then I just get like 
you know, slapped, slapped around a little bit. Brian Blem's wife, I think her name was Teresa Blem. Thank you so much for clarifying that. I said, I retract my black pill. Makes perfect sense to me. <clears throat> and she was absolutely right. Look what they found. By looking at 150 ballots, no, 113, they were able to see 48 out of the 113 ballots reviewed were printed uh, on 20-inch paper with 19-inch ballot images, and boom, that's why they were being rejected. It appears that something like half of the ballots were printed. Using um, 19-inch ballots. I keep. I don't know what to call it. Ballot styles? Ballot PDFs? I don't know. But you get the point. I was wrong. You were right. This is amazing. This is absolutely freaking amazing. Whew. So we got two days, man. We got two days of this. And I imagine it's only get going to get better from here. And then Friday, guys, we have uh, Abraham Hamaday. Abraham Hamaday, his court case is going to trial as well. It's going to trial as well. So we've got the deep state on trial all freaking week. This is like this is like an early Christmas present. Now, guys, if you could do me a favor and smash the like button, subscribe to this channel, especially if you're new here. We talk about all things election fraud. We talk about all things MAGA. We we cover the news here. And it's it's become like a daily show. So I would appreciate if you guys would join the family that we call the Wilf Pack. We call ourselves Wilfs, uh, which is Warriors for Independence, Liberty, and Freedom. Okay, And it's hard not to want to be a part of that. I understand. So if you smash the subscribe button, you're instantly initiated. There's no hazing. We don't, we don't have to you know beat you up. You don't have to pay anything. Ah, man. This is freaking, this is epic. This is epic. We got, we got, um, the county recorder admitting to breaking the law under oath. And we've got the county, uh, the, the co-elections director either lying under oath or putting the freaking ball on a tee to then prove that somebody, somebody fraudulently created some ballots. And it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, what, what more can we ask for, man? This is exactly what I was hoping for. I'm just, I'm just, I'm in shock and all. I'm in shock and all, and I'm just basking in it. You know, no, no doomer energy for me, baby. No black pills, no negative takes on this. People are getting upset. People are getting upset that the county's attorney tried to discredit Clay Perique and say he's associated with Mike Lindell. You should be encouraged by that because it just goes to show they don't have a defense. They're screwed. <laughs> you know, that that's a good thing. Of course they're going to say stupid stuff. Of course they're going to make dumb arguments. They're not they're not just going to be like, "Well, the defense doesn't have a response." You win. Sorry. I I guess you guys got us red-handed. You win. No, of course they're going to come with a defense, but what does it really matter in a court of law if you're associated with Mike Lindell? If the evidence is there that you broke the law and you guys rigged a frickin' election. Ooh, man. Man. So this is frickin' great. 2Q says Wilf stands for Woman in Lactating Farm. 
<laughs> Dude, I'm still sick. You got you made me almost die. That's funny. I haven't heard that one before. No, Wilf is warrior for independence, liberty, and freedom, baby. Oh, my God. So I did a pre-show over on Locals. I did a pre-show over on Locals, and I was I was I was hype, but I was like, man, please don't let me down. I I I I rarely get excited. I rarely get hopeful, and uh, <laughs> you know I can't help but get carried away, a little carried away, a little carry laked away. <laughs> so I'm on cloud nine. I'm on cloud nine, boys. Emily C2 says, $20. Nick, you rock. Do you think Garland's lawsuit will ramp back up? Thank you for the rumble rant. Emily, that's a good question. I, I tried to reach out to David Cross of Voter GA earlier today, and I wanted to ask him, did, did Fulton County? Oh, he text, he texted me back. So I asked him, I said, Hey, David, big news yesterday. Were the 2020 ballots preserved? Because I, I thought to myself, didn't they get destroyed after the 22-month uh, period lapsed? And then people were like, well, they should have been preserved because there was a case that had been appealed, right? So I reached out to David Cross to get clarification on that. I said, were the 2020 ballots preserved, meaning do they still exist? And he said, we think so. Fulton received a non-spoliation letter, and because of pending litigation, they must hold the evidence. So, the ballot should exist, and if they don't, well, Fulton County broke the law. Um, they received a spoliation letter, all right? So, they were supposed to keep them. So, what happened with the, the Garland Favorito case, voter GA, <clears throat> is the Supreme Court in Georgia overturned Brian Amaro's decision to throw the case out on lack of standing, and so now it goes to the appellate court for reconsideration. So, yes, the, the, the court case is ramping back up. Now, we know in that case it's a little bit different. It's not a candidate contesting the election. Uh, we have a, a, a voter integrity group seeking an audit of the paper ballots. That would be the relief. Best case scenario, they can get an audit. Uh, but that would only go to further substantiate the fact that elections are rigged. We know in that case, there was four seasoned election workers that witnessed pristine ballots on election day. And these were supposed to be mail-in ballots. So they were supposed to be folded. And if they were, they, they looked like they had just been printed. Something's not right here. So if they can take a look at those ballots and they happen to find, um, they happen to find what look like photocopy ballots that, that aren't legit. Well, at that point, then you can go after these people criminally and, um, you, I mean, all these people that call us frickin' election deniers, conspiracy theorists are being further put in their place. So guys, this is, I'm jazzed up, man. It's, it's, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Or no, remember Jeff O'Donnell's rendition of that? It's beginning to feel a lot. Like treason every time we vote. That was <laughs> Jeff O'Donnell, man. You killed it with that one. I loved it. Ah, man. It must be, it must be refreshing to see old Nick Mo Cedar all bubbly and, and elated and ecstatic. And guys, 
You know, I get called a black pillar, a doomer all the time, but I'm not, man. It's just that they keep, I mean, like all the stuff people get their hopes up for, it's usually nonsense. So I'm trying to, I just try to tell people like, well, that's not going to happen because uh, Attorney General Brnovich isn't going to do shit or, you know, that's not going to happen because Karen Fan's a swamp creature or Robin Voss is a swamp creature. I just tell people, you know. Like a lot of the stuff that they get hopeful about, it ain't going to pan out. And then it doesn't. And nobody comes back and says, hey, Nick, you were right. You know, I don't need to be right. I'm just saying I'm not a black pillar. I get hopeful and optimistic and excited when there's actual there's there's something happening that could actually lead to, you know, like. Like what's happening right now with Carrie Lake. I'm hopeful and, and excited because we just. Got an epic smackdown in a courtroom in a trial hearing where we caught we caught Stephen Richard admitting to breaking the law under oath and we had a ballot inspection that conflicts with the, the co-election director's testimony. <laughs> best hope Brunson versus Adams on January sixth. Nah man, I wouldn't call that the best hope. I wouldn't call that one the best hope. I said I will eat my underwear and I won't even, I'll wear them for a week. I'll wear them for a week. I'll eat my underwear that I wore for a week. If the Supreme court hears that case, because the relief that's being sought, uh, you want to, uh, you want in a civil suit to have the court rule that like Congress is guilty of treason. It's not, that's not exactly, there's 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 no legal maxim for that. So the the U.S. Solicitor General waiving their uh, right to respond essentially it just means that the the U.S. Solicitor General thinks that the the Supreme Court's going to toss this out immediately and doesn't want to waste their time with another filing. You know, but guys, oh Murphy's Law is going to send me his underwear too. Uh Look, man, I don't know what you got going on down there. I don't know if I want to commit to that. <laughs> you probably got some skid marks. You know, Murphy's Murphy sounds like a guy that has some skid marks. So, no, nah, I'll eat my own because at least I know what's going on down there. You know, I'll eat my own, but no, I'm not. I'm not like this isn't uh, this isn't going to be a buffet of people's britches. Uh because I I hope I'm wrong, but. Promo code Skidmark gets 30% off my underwear. <laughs> Dude, you're killing the jokes today. You're killing the jokes today. A Brunson victory would also set a judicial precedent to clean up the foul stench in many of the states like Arizona. Personally, I think that it would set a bad judicial precedent because when you're, when you're going to bring a case where you're saying we're not even alleging fraud, we're saying that Congress did not uh, investigate the fraud and therefore they're guilty of treason for aiding and abetting an enemy and they should not have the right to hold office. Well, in that case, if, if you actually win in that uh, case, well, then what's going to happen next election when the Democrats say there was fraud without any evidence and don't even have to prove it? But then after the election certified, they can say that you had a legal responsibility to investigate the fraud that we made up 
And now we're going to have you removed from office. What would, what would stop them from doing that? Nothing. That's why it's a terrible precedent that would be set. $10 from MMIS123 says, keep up the good work. Well, I'll keep it up. I don't know if I do good work, but I'll, I, I do my best. My motto is, my name's Nick Mosier. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented, but I'll try really hard and I'll work, you know, really hard. I'll do my bestest. <clears throat> ah, man, this is, this is, look, if it, if it, somebody said, don't get your hopes up, I'm just saying, right now, I have reason to bask in the win that just happened. I have reason to be elated and to be happy. Do not poo poo on my parade. Today is a good day. Okay. If, if we get let down at a later date, that's fine. Okay, I will say to myself, well, at least you had a reason to be excited and a reason to be hopeful. You weren't being foolish. You didn't go on an emotional roller coaster for no reason. You had a reason. So I have a reason to be happy right now. Don't take that from me. <clears throat> uh, I'd love my soap to become Mike Lindell's soap. What? Uh, Rita Girl says, Nick, don't kid yourself. You're talented. Oh, you're going to make me blush. Thanks, Rita. Sometimes, I was saying earlier on Locals, I listen back to myself sometimes, and I'm like, dude, how does anybody follow what you're saying? You're all over the place. You're you're a mess, you know? And your your brain, it's like I go from one thing to the next, and the thought before it doesn't connect with the first one, and... I don't know. Apparently, some people can understand me. So that's that's good enough, I guess. Good enough to have 1,500 people watching it. <laughs> How do you like that, Mom? How do you like that, you know, teacher who said I'd never amount to nothing? <clears throat> Boom. 1,500 people disagree. I want to thank you guys for the rumble rants. Really, uh, tell you what, it, it helps me justify just sitting here in this chair, just just ranting, ranting and rambling, you know, when I should probably be eating breakfast. It's 2.30, and your boy hadn't even had a freaking banana. But I had no appetite. I was so freaking nervous and anxious and excited. That I was like, I don't need to eat. I don't even need to drink water. And I'm sick. <laughs> I'm sick. But, you know. Ah. T-Skillet, Nick, you do a great job. Thanks, man. Thank you, brother. So let's see. Let me check the Gateway Pundit here, see what articles they've, they've come up with. <clears throat> Nothing, really. Nothing about this trial. Okay, let me see. Okay, but we do have an article about Stephen Chucky uh, Richer. So let me pull that up. We got an article about Stephen Chucky Richer. I want to see what their analysis is here about the lies told by Stephen. Oh my God! He does doesn't he look like Krusty uh, the Clown from The Simpsons with a worse hairline? It looks look at his teeth, man. Those are that's a rat. That's not a human being. That is a rat. Those two razor sharp front teeth, the the the, the sunken in black. His eyes are black, and he just looks like he looks haunted. You know. It just creeps me out. There, there's no life in those eyes. It's, it's like, they look like a doll's eyes. 
Uh, do they have a break or is it over for today? Well, that's a great question, but I'm pretty sure. Let me see something. Pretty sure that. I, I don't know. I don't know because I thought they were supposed to go for five hours a piece, and I think we're at the halfway mark. Oh, they're on break. Okay, thank you. So <clears throat> we, we're on break right now. We're going to come back. I think they have a 30-minute break. So the first break, I wasn't even home. I had to go to an appointment. So when they had the 10-minute break, I was like, oh, crap. It would be a nice time to give a little commentary, but I was gone. So, yes, they are on break, and we will keep an eye on it. And when they come back, we will put the live stream back up. Don't you worry. Old Nickel Bob Crane here has got you covered. And I just checked just now, and they're still on Brizake. All right, now let's talk about Maricopa County Recorder. <coughs> so today, Cary Lake's legal team raised two issues with Maricopa County Recorder Stephen Richer. The court is hearing Cary Lake's case right now regarding the 2022 election in Maricopa County. The trial will be held today and tomorrow in Arizona. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Gateway Pundit, for telling me what I already know. Break for one hour? Buzzsaw 63. Are you kidding me? It's an hour break? Well, shucks. I'm going to have to get some freaking water if we're sitting here for an hour. When did the break start? Somebody tell me, when did the freaking break start? Because I, I need Behizzy to join this stream, dude. <laughs> I don't know if I can sit here and talk for an hour. Who am I kidding? I can talk forever. Anyway, so Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer was on the stand this morning. During the questioning, Richer was grilled on a couple of areas, and his answers were alarming. Cary Lake War Room tweeted out, Breaking, Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer confirms chain of custody was broken. All ballots that are delegated to a third party or location are in defiance of Arizona election law. Now, if I remember correctly, um... Stephen Richer said that all these ballots that go to Runbeck are processed by Maricopa County employees. You know, so I don't know about that one. But if they were delegated to a third party or a location without chain of custody, then yes, that would be defiance of Arizona law. Man, my nose is itchy. You guys are going to think I'm picking my nose. I'm not. Okay. I, I trimmed my nose hair yesterday or two days ago, and I feel like the hairs are growing back in. And now it's just driving me crazy, dude. But that's what you got to do when you're an old man. I'm 31 now, and I got nose hair. All right, so moving on. <clears throat> Liz Harrington, uh, truth doubt. Does anybody know when those ballots leaving the voting center, how many are in the bins? Recorder Richard said no. Okay, so basically, when the ballots are leaving the voting centers, the precincts, they don't know how many they have. <laughs> You're supposed to count them at the voting center, which is basically the precincts. You're supposed to count them before they get transported to the McTech Center. And if you didn't, then that's a violation of the chain of custody. Boom. The law has been broken. Whoo. <laughs> chain of custody is totally meaningless. I mean, if you don't have chain of custody at the start point, that's it. The chain of custody's broken. I mean, it's it's done. 
it's done. That's a done deal. If you didn't maintain chain of custody, the law is broken, and therefore the election should be voided. You guys understand how simple. I mean, it's it's black and white. We don't have to go any further. Carrie Lake is entitled to a new election. And if the judge disagrees, well, he can kiss my ass. He can kiss my hind end. He can kiss my keister. Ah. Okay, so we got we got a little video here. Drew Hernandez. Scott Jarrett completely evades answering whether or not the 2022 AZ midterm elections had obvious and documented disruptions. He argues voters still had other options. Do I need to play that? That's not as significant. But yeah, like Kurt Olson had um Kurt Olson had this guy Scott Jarrett in the hot seat was saying, "Okay, if 50% of the freaking machines broke down on election day, would you consider that a disruption? And he was like, no, I don't think it was a disruption because people had the option to place their ballots in bin number three. And he was, and, and Kurt Olson was like, okay, wait a second. But what was your estimated wait time? What was your goal on election day for wait time? And Scott Jarrett was like 30 minutes. Kurt Olson was like, okay, and what was the actual wait time? Well, we had wait times up to close to two hours. And Kurt Olson was like, so you were off by like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours because of machines breaking down at 50% of vote centers. And you don't think that's a disruption? Well, I wouldn't classify it as that. I don't, I just don't think that that definition is appropriate because everybody had the opportunity to, shut up, you dumb baby back bitch. You dumb son of a bitch. You, 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 you deserve my backhand. I wish I was there. You know, I would say, objection. If I was there. Because you guys know I go hard. What was the votes in bin number three? Well, I think it was uh over 17,000, something like that. But I don't know, because you, you got numbers coming out of uh, Cary Lake Camp. You got numbers coming out of Maricopa County, Recorder. They're all saying different numbers. <coughs> Man, I'm... That's gross. I need some water. But I, I don't know if I can trust you guys to stay here without clicking away and going to a different stream if I get up. Because the Internet's attention spans like two seconds. So if there's dead space, you can't get up. I gotta get, I gotta get my, I gotta call the missus. Gotta bring in the heavies. Can you bring me some water, sweetie? Can you bring me some water, sweetie? I'm gonna call her sweetie because that, that helps. <clears throat> that helps. All right, let's see. What do we, what do we got? Okay, still nothing. Still nothing. We're waiting for the stream to come back up. Remember, we have an hour wait time. Oh, expert Jesus, play a video. That's a great idea. However, I don't have one on hand. Uh, man, I need to start working out again. Ask the voters if Scott did a great job in Maricopa. Hell no, that his bitch ass didn't do a great job. Maybe Van can bring it. Van ain't going to bring me. Ain't going to bring me nothing. Actually, he has started handing me stuff. It's very cute. He'll pick up a block and he'll bring it to me. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Van. So nice of you. But really, I don't care about the block. 
I don't give a damn about a little block. I got bigger fish to fry. There's elections being stolen, but I act like I care about that block so much. Oh, my God. This is so cool, Van. Thank you so much. And then I give it right back to him. You know, it's his new thing. Put Van on. (laughs) You know, Van actually is being babysat right now. Van's being babysat right now. Cause we got big, we got big stuff going on. Now me and the wife, we just, we're like, we need a break, man. It's time. We got to start paying a babysitter. <clears throat> we've, we've, we've not done it. <clears throat> we've been on one date in the last year. Cause we don't have family down here in Florida, but we were like, we gotta, we gotta do something, man. We gotta do something, man. So we got a babysitter. Okay. What'd the wife say? Oh, my wife said yes. She's going to she's going to bring me water. This is amazing. Usually usually those those type of requests don't work out. Maybe it was cuz I said, "Sweetie, sweetie, can you bring me some water?" Honey, I'm going to I'm going to throw in a thank you, honey. Honey. See, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. You, you want to get your woman in line. You got to manipulate her a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God she doesn't watch the show. Don't tell her I said that. Hey, by the way, my wife's back up on YouTube. She's uh, She took like two months off. Those of you that don't know, she is back on YouTube. Oh, I have an idea. Expert G, $10 for babysitter fun. Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. It's It's not cheap. I'll tell you that much. And it's a friend doing it too. And it's, it's 15, it's like $15 an hour, man, which is not, that's like minimum wage, but still it adds up. Thank you. Thank you. So check this out. I want to, I want to tell you guys about something and I want to surprise a friend of mine. I want to surprise a friend of mine who's starting a YouTube channel. If I could freaking find it. I, I think it was it, like I have a friend of mine who's a prepper and his family is hilarious. Like they're all really funny. And <clears throat> excuse me. Jeez, I need that water, man. I just need some water like right now. Anyway, so I have a friend. His name's Levi. And he's starting a YouTube channel. And this dude's funny. And I believe it's going to be successful. And I'm really excited about it. Okay. And he put up a test video on his YouTube channel. And so what I want to do actually is send you guys over there to subscribe to his channel as a surprise, like a little gift. Like, Hey man, I sent my people over to you because I want to help you get your start. I want to help you out. And that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm really, I'm a really cool guy. So I just wanted to get a bunch of subscribers and not know why. And that would be, that would be funny to me. Okay. So his, his channel name is family preppers and I'm going to pull it up for you guys. This is it. This dude's got freaking, he's got freaking goats. He's got freaking, uh, chickens. He's got like the dude has been, the thing that's different uh, let me tell you about something about vacation home. My man has been preparing for the Great Reset since before its conception. My man Levi has been prepping for the New World Order 
since 1984. I'm telling you, this dude is one of the most interesting people I know. And so the fact that he wants to start a channel and he's going to start putting videos up there talking about prepping and, 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 and also his wife's really funny. His, his wife and daughters are all beautiful. They all have great personalities and they're all funny. And he's like a trip, man. So let's surprise him. Do me a favor and go to my man Levi's channel and subscribe. I don't know how easily you can find it. I'll put a link in the chat. Because I don't think he has a custom link. <clears throat> I don't know. Can you find it if you just search for it? When you have a new channel, I don't know if you can do that. Son of a biscuit. There it is. Okay, so this is this this is the channel. If you type in family preppers, you can find it. Now let's watch his testing video. This is our testing video. We're testing out the camera. Don't butt the camera thing. Testing. 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 Dad, what are you doing? Testing. 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 Our color. Look at the. Oh. Watch the goats. <laughs> I have a feeling he's done that before. Testing. <laughs> so yeah, Levi's a freaking goofball, man. Are you on Levi's? That Levi's a goofball, man. I want you guys to subscribe to his channel. I just want him to get like hundreds of subscribers and then just be like, why, why do I have so many subscribers? And I'll be like, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> that had nothing to do with me. Got nothing to do with me, brother. <clears throat> so we got 1400 people watching. If you guys could do me that favor, just, just so I could, just so I could feel like, like the Don, like I'm going to Don you famous brother. You know, not that I'm that famous, but still, I do. I got a little audience, so they're like, "Yeah, man, I I have blessed you with with my audience of cool people that would probably actually be really interested in the type of content you're going to put up there." Ah, slam dunk, Nick. Yeah, man, I think this case is a slam freaking dunk. She was right, Nick. Yes. Yes, she was. <clears throat> Carrie Lake was right. Let me check Carrie Lake's Twitter because I know she's popping off right now. I know Carrie Lake's popping off. Behizzy, you want to join? I see you in the chat. I'm sending you a link right now. I'll put it on your Telegram. Because I need, I need Behizzy to come in here with some dead air. We got an hour break. I think we got 15 minutes left. And I'm getting tuckered out, man talking about nothing <clears throat> so i'm going to send behizzy a link i'll send it to your email as well get your butt up in here all right i sent behizzy the link see if behizzy joins nick it's just the tip of the iceberg yeah i think it's just the tip <laughs> i think you're right man i think it's just the tip
Yeah, Carrie Lake is given the, the counting recorders, and Katie Hobbs just the tip. There's a lot more where that came from. I mean, yeah. I, imagine if she actually got a signature verification, you know, and that wasn't tossed out on latches. Imagine if we could look at how many fake signatures uh, and, and illegal ballots were inserted into the count. Unfortunately, we can't do that, but we know that there would be thousands. What was it? Dr. Shiva's analysis from 2020. Maricopa County rejected only 25,000 signatures, and Dr. Shiva's analysis <coughs> said that number should have been 200,000. Now, of those 25,000 that Maricopa County sent to curing, at the end of the process, only 536 ballots were actually rejected. I have a hard time believing that that's the case. Um, and I, I find it more likely that the level two managers were overriding the initial flags from the level one workers and taking non-matching signatures and saying, eh, it looks good to me. These are going to count because that's the basis of Carrie Lake's evidence in 2022. We know that they did that because we have whistleblowers from McTech that said that they witnessed that happening. So a signature audit would be the biggest bombshell. And I'm really disappointed that, that we're not going to be able to do that. But I still think, I still think this is a rock solid case. <laughs> Man, I'm still sick. I got snot. I'm trying not to do that nasty snorting thing. Let me mute myself. Much better. Much better. And you guys didn't have to hear that gross sound of my snot. Um, did you guys go subscribe to my boy, Levi? I'm telling you, man, Levi is a trip. So I, I honestly can't wait to see the videos that he puts out. And, of course, you have my wife's channel as well. You guys, oh, we got like ten, we got him like ten new subs. Boom! Make sure to go to Family Preppers on YouTube and subscribe. And we got my wife's channel as well. Now she puts out different content. Different. Most of it's making fun of me. Most of it's it's talking crap about me. And so I'm a little hesitant to promote her channel. But my wife, her channel is Kate Moseter. And she's a mom. She's a mom tuber. And she just put up a video for the first time in two months yesterday titled Marriage After Baby is Hard, talking about how the baby's been kicking her dick in the dirt. And if you want to watch that, I want you to go to her channel and watch it yourself. I'm not going to play it. I want you to get, because if you, if you want to watch it, you got to go to her channel and subscribe. I'm not going to do the work for you. Now, let's take a look here. So we're still waiting on the hearing to get back up and running. We have an hour break, and we got about, I think, 10 minutes left of that. So just just stick around. Stick around. What, what's it, It's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. Break out a version of Purple Haze. Well, I don't want to disturb the piece. I haven't. Hold on. Yeah, I'll pull out the guitar. Hang on. Maybe I can do this without turning the amp on because I think the baby's sleeping. Tell me if you can hear this. 
Can you hear that okay? When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new e-books titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.